Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Live from Trackside, this is IMSA Radio. Good to have your company. Uh, and we are live in Long Beach for round three of the Tudor United Sports Car Championship. Uh, it's Greg Kramer and Jeremy Shaw who are joining me for the free practice session. And we'll be live for that next on IMSA Radio. Well, a beautiful day, as you might imagine, here uh, at Long Beach, uh, overlooking the marina, as we are from our comms booth, uh, just on the start-finish line. Good morning to Greg Kramer, who uh, is up with the larks as well. <laughs> and, well, we expect to have decent weather here, Greg, uh, and it has delivered two hours of uh, free practice to come. A small but perfectly formed field this weekend. Well, and what's very exciting about it, John, is the fact that it's the two pro divisions that are here once again, which means in terms of the racecraft, what we're going to see on the track, it's pro on pro, and it becomes that glorious chess match that is so absolutely spectacular to watch. Uh, when the prototype cars come around and start to pick up the GT Le Mans traffic, it turns into something very, very special to watch and enjoy, and I think it is, it is going to be spectacular. And, of course, the irony here is our third race of the season, we go from the two longest races of the season, the 24 hours of uh, day Tona, the 12 hours of Sebring, to the shortest at 100 minutes in duration. So qualifying, it's a street course. Qualifying is going to be huge. And, of course, track position is going to be everything. And that all comes from reading the track, John, as we've seen over the years at this track, because it is public roads. And, in fact, in the evenings, they open up some of the crossings, and there is still road traffic going on. Each day, the track changes dramatically from the morning through the afternoon as more cars get out, more rubber gets laid down on the track. Grip quotients change. Weather affects it dramatically. It's reading the track, thinking ahead, getting ahead of the curve a little bit, and getting that setup dialed in. Here, more than many other places, qualifying is key because it is a tough place to pass and if you could start up front the odds are a lot better for you that you can stay up front and then of course pit stop strategy in a hundred minute race this is absolutely uh, open for everybody And the interesting part about it, when you get to those pit stop strategies, the two different classes have different pit windows. The prototypes, 45, stretch it a little bit, get to maybe 50 minutes. The GT Le Mans category machines, they can go an hour, hour plus if they're really on their game a little bit. So for the prototypes, to do it in one stop, 
you need a little help in terms of a caution of some sort. We don't want to see that, and the drivers don't want to see that. They'd rather be green the whole way. So now, when do you stop? Do you stop early? Do you stop late? Uh, that's going to be one of the strategy plays. For the GT Le Mans cars, yellows or not, they can do it on one stop, but the window's pretty small, and uh, so you still have to be able to play the game right, and a lot of it comes down to when you stop. If there are no minimum drive times in the pro classes at these events. So technically, you could start the race. Five minutes in, there's a caution. You're going to see everybody come in, do the driver change, and go back out again and top off with fuel to open those windows up just a little bit. But if you get into the race a little, a little ways and somebody stops early and you elect to wait, you run a huge risk of a caution coming out, and you might think, well, all right, I could pit under caution. That's always good, right? Not if everybody is already pitted because when that caution's done, you're behind them. Gets back to track position, passing, very tough here. So uh, this is one of those places where uh, the strategy play comes in huge, and it does everywhere, but it's so important here. But the other side of it is, you know, they talk about a an endurance race, 24 hours, 12 hours, in this era being virtually a sprint. Close. You still have to be mindful and, you know, paying attention to things, watching things here you don't have the opportunity to back off for one iota. You are on it, on the edge of the sword the whole time, driving as hard as you can, and you're doing it through a concrete canyon. So precision, mistake-free, and perfect execution in terms of strategy is going to be everything here. And remember, when you're running in traffic, you know, you've got to be mindful to not have contact. You get these cars, they're so aerodynamically dependent that you knock a dive plane off of uh, off the front end, one of those little winglets or the like, just by grazing another car. Well, now you lose downforce on that corner. You start to then abuse those fronts maybe a little bit more. Then you have to change your strategy up. You know, in theory, you ought to be able to do this whole race on a set of tires, but not if you damage something that changes the handling characteristics of the car. So it's just so much dynamic that's going on here and we're talking about reading things right reading things for the uh, the engineers and the crews and the like well as this track changes throughout the weekend as more grip comes down based on your initial setup when you roll off the trailer it tends to go to push to a little bit more understeer so you've always got to be thinking ahead of the curve just a little bit to be there and the teams that are going to lock this in and get it right they are the ones that are going to really experience uh, the uh, the success here. And it has always produced some absolutely spectacular racing. I mean, there's no question. You look back at the battle last year in the prototype division, that race to the end was absolutely spectacular uh, with that uh, Ford EcoBoost car from uh, Ganassi, Chip Ganassi Racing with Felix Sabates uh, and uh, Scott Pruitt getting another win here on the streets of Long Beach. He won here in the Daytona prototype category back in the uh, uh, in the uh, mid-2000s with a great run. It was very close over the Wayne Taylor Racing Corvette uh, here that, that year. In GT Le Mans, there was a slower prototype car that one of the GT Le Mans cars, namely Antonio Garcia, the number three Corvette, snuck around that slower prototype car, uh, held the rest of the field up. They were able to build a big advantage, did their stop, turned it over to Jan Magnussen. 
and Jan was able to comfortably bring it home. But second on back was an absolute scrap. And uh, we look forward to seeing something uh, very, very similar and hopefully for the lead in both of the classes here. And that's where this first session that's about to start in just a couple of minutes is so crucial. This is the first time, other than a couple of uh, little VIP rides around the track, that the cars any car has been on these normal public roads now set up as the street circuit here this is the first time cars have been out so for the first hour almost of this really what you're doing uh, any drivers that may not have raced here uh, before or don't have much experience learning the track finding out where the bumps are this track because so many of the corners of this track actually cross a an intersection, you get right at the apex point, you go over a crown, and then all the way to the wall on the exit, it falls away. It goes totally off camber. So there's lots of little things to learn, the nuance about this track. And that's really a, 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 a huge thing to do. The second hour, now the track's been cleaned off a little bit. You actually have a little bit of racing rubber down on the track. You really start to go and start chasing setups and working on things like that. So um, this is a two-hour sessions the first time out and remember the schedule here because this is such a prestigious event the toyota grand prix of long beach uh, is such a prestigious event now in its 41st running that's pretty spectacular itself started in 1975 uh, hands down north america's premier street race and certainly one of the globe's premier events so it's a huge event, to be sure, and there's an awful lot to it. And because of that, you know, you've got a variety of different series that are running here. And one of the things that, that you have to be really dialed into is track time is at an absolute premium. This is the longest session that these cars will have for the uh, Tudor United Sports Car Championship, this two-hour session. And, again, uh, once this happens... There's a whole slate of things going on this afternoon with a variety of different series, thus a variety of different tire compounds being laid down on the track. And then the uh, Tudor Series comes back out, does a practice session that leads right into qualifying. And, you know, again, at the end of this morning session, they're going to have their data, but then they need to start like I said, because when they come out for that second practice session, there's not a lot of time, and now the track conditions are going to be hugely different. So aside from a great driver's challenge, just negotiating this circuit at speed through the concrete canyons, it is a track that drivers, uh, in terms of a street circuit in particular, drivers absolutely love. They say it doesn't feel a whole lot. Uh, like a standard street circuit, there's there's uh, there's certainly those sections, but it has some other amazing things too. But it is an engineering and setup challenge extraordinaire here because one, the uniqueness of a street track in general, but two, the time constraints that you have here. After that qualifying session, there is no morning warm-up Saturday. Saturday afternoon, we go right into racing. So uh, you need to get your sums done. You need to get it done in a hurry, and that's where the challenge is for these uh these teams and drivers and it's going to be pretty spectacular we're just waiting for the indication that we're going to have cars heading out on track and again slated to be a two-hour session it's 7:45 in the morning local time here in long beach california as john alluded to an absolutely beautiful day not a cloud it's warm Pleasant, delightful. Uh, it's going to be up into the 80s uh, Fahrenheit here today. So, and there we go. We are green. Cars are out and underway. 
that we are running right now. Just to give you an idea, there's a big story here. The uh, Radical Delta Wing DWC-13 chassis, the Clara Track Phone Delta Wing team, of Memo Rojas, who of course was a winner here with Scott Pruitt and last year, and Catherine Legg, who won her first ever race in North America, and it was in the uh, heyday of the Atlantic Professional Atlantic Series, and she became the first woman to win a major North American open wheel series race right here on Long Beach in 05. The Delta Wing is making its first ever street circuit debut. It's always run on road courses, but it's on a street circuit here this weekend. So that's pretty spectacular. They run the number zero. The number five car is your points leader after a close second-place finish at Daytona and a dominating win at Sebring, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, in a bit more depth. It is the Action Express Racing Corvette DP of points leaders Joao Barbosa and Christian Fittipaldi. In the number 10, the car that came second last year and has had a couple of interesting races in the uh, opening two long endurance races in Florida. The team responding beautifully to issues during the race, coming back and putting up some great numbers and come in here well-placed in the points. It is the Wayne Taylor Racing number 10 Corvette DP of the brothers Taylor, Ricky, and Jordan. The number 31, the team card of the number 5, is the Wheel and Engineering Action Express Corvette DP of Eric Kern and Dane Cameron. And they have had some issues, and it's just some uh, unusual things that have unfolded. In the first race they had at Daytona, an issue got it fixed. They came back, but it put them laps, and I mean And then at Sebring, uh, they were running in second spot. They jumped up. Eric Kern had driven a brilliant opening stint. It moved up in a second, did a pit stop. They had a problem with one of the lugs in the right front wheel, exited the car, and they got it back in the pits, got it taken care of, cost them a lot of time. Uh, but it is a car that everybody's kind of thinking that this car, it's a breakout opportunity for this car in one of the next few races, no question about it. It should be a player. And Eric Kern, a big win here, uh, his first World Challenge win here in 2007 in a Corvette, a wheel and Corvette at that, um, in 2007. The number 60, Mike Shank racing with Kerr Bagajanian and the beautiful DJ JSP2 with the Honda Power Plant of uh, John Pugh. And Oswaldo Negri, Oz Negri put in a brilliant lap here last year to qualify in second. And, of course, uh, had a good start to the season, had some very strong runs uh, at the uh, first couple of races in terms of raw speed, without question. But Oz having that bizarre crash uh, going into the, the uh, Jean Dubien curves at Sebring this year that took them out of that race. Uh, but that car has been extremely fast. Uh, the number 90, that's the Visit Florida Racing Corvette DP Richard Westbrook and Michael Valiante, two podiums at Daytona and Sebring, has them well-placed in the points. And then you've got the uh, two speed source Skyactiv Mazdas of the 70, Tristan Nunez and Jonathan Bomarito. This is a kind of a home race for Jonathan, although actually when we're up in uh, Laguna Seca, Mazda Raceway, Laguna Seca in a couple weeks' time. That's really a home race. But he's a California boy, so anything in California is going to be important. And the team car, the 07 of Tom Long and Joel Miller. And then the defending race winner, the 01 Ford EcoBoost Riley of, uh, from Chip Ganassi Racing with Felix Sabatis of Scott Pruitt and Joey Hand. So that's basically what's gonna, what and who is going to be out on track here 
in this practice session and going forward. Again, when you look at the size of the entry, you might go, well, it's not big. It's the quality, really, that's key here. And it is some superb, superb talent, both in terms of the teams and the crews, but also behind the wheel. In the GT Le Mans category, uh, points leader, defending race winner, the Corvette Racing number 3, the C7R of Jan Magnussen and Antonio Garcia uh, have won the opening two rounds of the championship, going for three in a row here. The team car, the number four of Ali Gavin and Tommy Milner. Uh, the 17, that is the Team Falcon Tire Porsche 911 RSR of Brian Sellers, the Falcon Tire Company factory driver, and Wolf Hensler, one of Porsche's factory drivers. And remember the success those cars have had on street circuits in the past. Baltimore comes to mind. Uh, the soft street racing tire that Falcon Tire builds is superb. And I guess that leads us into a quick note about the GT Le Mans category for those of you maybe new listeners. Uh, in the prototype category, everybody runs on one tire, spec tire from Continental. In the GT Le Mans category, it is an open tire class. Dominated right now by Michelin, but Falcon Tire uh, is coming on. They have a superb soft street, as they call it, and it has given them uh, opportunities and wins in the past, so look for that. Then you've got the two BMWs still running that glorious throwback paint scheme celebrating this the 40th anniversary of BMW Motorsport and getting their first win 40 years ago at Sebring and at Sebring they painted the cars up carrying the colors of those beautiful BMW CSLs from uh, that uh, that successful race back in the 70s they've decided to carry that look forward one still black the uh, one is white but they've got the decaling and the graphic package still with that historical livery on it, the number 24. And, again, if this is the first time you're tuning in this year, the BMWs have changed numbers. They used to run 55 and 56. Now they're running 24 and 25. In the 24, it's John Edwards for the BMW Team RLL BMW Z4 GTE, along with the winningest overall driver here on the streets of Long Beach in sports car competition, Lucas Lure, who is now... uh, a full-time BMW factory driver in that program. The team car is the number 25 entry, and that's the white one, of Bill Oberlin, of course, in 2013. Finally, after so many years of being on podiums but never winning truly his home race, as he's just a couple miles down the road in Redondo Beach, California, getting the win. He is a huge hometown hero and favorite here. And Dirk Werner coming back and joining the uh, Tudor United Sports Car Championship this year, full-time, paired with Oberlin. In the number 62, Risa Competizione Ferrari 458 Italia, it is uh, Pierre Coffer, who has raced here before, but this is his first race here with Risi. And uh, he has teamed uh, with Giancarlo Fisichella, who has uh, raced here before with Risi. And uh, Risi, of course, has had success with wins here as well uh, over the course of the years, polls and a lot of success. So, uh, and it would be interesting here because this track so different from the other ones, and there have been some uh, AOP, adjustments of performance, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. And then the two Porsches from the factory Porsche Motorsports North America program, nine, the 911 of Patrick Pillay and Frederick Machiavecki in the Porsche 911 RSR, and the 912 car is Richard Lietz and Jörg Bergmeister, who, of course, a, uh, a Bergmeister of former multiple GT champion in the ALMS series um, and uh, now 
part and parcel of this program. They've changed up the drivers in the Porsche cars because of the fact that a couple of the guys nominated for the full season here when uh, things were all being set up, notably Nick Tandy and uh, I think it's Earl Bamber, uh, those two drivers, of course, getting the nod for the third Porsche 919 hybrid that will be running at the Vancarur Dumas, the 24 Hours of Le Mans, in uh, a couple of months' time. They're working on that program right now. They couldn't be here, so they've changed the driver lineup, and uh, that brings uh, a couple of these drivers back into play here. And the interesting thing, we're going to talk about this a little bit at Sebring from the first race of the Tudor United Sports Car Championship in uh, 2014 at Daytona through Sebring. Frederick Machiavecki at Sebring became the 13th different driver to qualify on the pole. We have not had a repeat driver pole qualifier since Daytona of 2014. So, uh, and there are still opportunities. A few of the drivers here do not have a pole yet in the uh, TUSE competition. So that streak could continue. You're starting to play the odds game now, aren't you? Uh, with 13 drivers that have set poles, the odds are getting better that one of them might just repeat. But it's a remarkable story. So we'll see how that plays out. And uh, the other thing, t- going back to Daytona of 2014, since the green flag dropped in that race, the drivers and the team of the Action Express number 5, Joel Barbosa, Christian Fittipaldi, and that entire program, Gary Nelson, Chris Cumming, and the group on down, have not missed one lap or mile of competition since they, they toned in 2014. When the checker flag flew at Sebring, they completed their consecutive 10,415th mile. So just some remarkable streaks that are being put up here. And uh, we talked about a little bit about the GT Le Mans category, and there was some uh, adjustment of performance, the most of it really being there were some slight weight adjustments, but the real key being fuel and uh, the Corvette, which has been so dominant uh, here. And I wouldn't say dominant. They've they've won the first two races, uh, but they haven't always had the outright speed. There's been great execution by the drivers and the team and the like. Uh, even so, uh, the officials and the tech people have decided that uh, the Corvettes are going to lose a little bit of fuel. They're going to be running three liters, I think, less fuel is what the report was in those cars. Uh, while uh, you're going to see the Ferrari get an additional four liters, the Porsches will get an additional three, and the BMW will get plus two. And, again, the Corvettes losing three liters and the report is that will be unchanged through Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca. So we'll see what happens there. The BMW Z4 GTE uh, is going to be running a little bit lighter, 10 kilos lighter, which is about 22 pounds. And uh, so they'll be running just a little bit lighter. And it will also be allowed to run some modified door sills and also be uh, allowed to reduce the width of its rear diffuser plate uh, just a little bit. Uh, by just a few mil, just shrinking it down a little bit. Uh, so those really, that's the major stuff. The other GTLM change, that's not going to happen until Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca. So uh, really, that pretty much covers what we're talking about here for the adjustments coming in here. So nothing huge. Obviously, playing with those fuel capacities opens up or changes fuel windows and that's one of the things that the corvette guys are talking about they said you know having three liters less fuel it just means we're 
our fuel window is going to be a little bit tighter than the others, especially those that got big increases, so they can stretch that a little bit more. And they said on the upside, if we need to do a full thing to see. Early on in this session, Ricky Taylor in the number 10 Corvette DP from Wayne Taylor Racing. First to dip below 1 minute 20 and has turned to 119.53 and leads things away. The 0-1 Ford EcoBoost Riley of Scott Pruitt sits in the second spot. Third overall right now is the number 25 GT Le Mans BMW Z4 GTE. Dirk Werner at the helm. Fourth, third in prototype, the number 90. Visit Florida.com Corvette DP of Richard Westbrook. And fifth right now, the number 31 Action Express Racing Whelan machine of Dane Cameron. That's your top five. Sixth, seventh, and eighth are second, third, and fourth in GT Le Mans. John Edwards in the 24 BMW, the 62 Ferrari of Giancarlo Fisichella, and the number 912 Porsche of York Bergmeister. Ninth right now, fifth in prototype, the number 60, that is the Liger, HPD Liger of Oz Negri. Tenth overall, sixth in prototype is the Zero. And uh, that is the Delta Wing in the hands of Catherine Legg. The number five of Shaw Barbosa. And again, these are just early laps. Nobody is going for any speed, any relative speed, because there just isn't any with the track dirty at this stage. And you need to rubber things in and get this track to be gripped up just a little bit. So uh, things are changing every lap, of course. The number 90 of Westbrook just jumps up into second, splits Taylor and Scott Pruitt, and pushes Werner back into fourth. But as we talked about in the early going here, it basically a lot of these early laps are just getting the streets cleaned, if you will. And once the drivers uh, start to indicate that, you know, we're getting down to it here, we're getting some rubber down in the leg, then you might come in, put on a fresher set of tires, and uh, then really start to tweak and work on the setup just a little bit. Uh, but it certainly is proving, uh, as always here at Long Beach, to be a challenge. The one nice thing that isn't is the weather. It is just stunning, and it's supposed to be in this upper 70s, low 80s scenario all the way through Saturday. Sunday it gets a little cloudy and sunny, by the way, glorious. And Sunday, and that's when uh, some of the other series that are racing here have some of their races, is uh, it, it's going to cloud up and cool off a little bit. But for the Tudor United Sports Car Championship, it's the postcard that we're going to be experiencing here. So Dane Cameron, boy, we talk, I was you know talking about a lot of people felt that that number 31 Action Express Corvette DP, this could be a car that really comes alive here. Dane Cameron, of course, ran here last year but did not run in the prototypes. He ran in the GT Le Mans category actually with uh, Giancarlo Fisichella in the uh, recent Competizione Ferrari and now making this step, joining up uh, with Eric Kern. And a lot of people think, as I said, that that car might just find themselves with a breakout opportunity at one of these next few races. They've certainly shown the speed. Again, this track comes in under two miles. Under two miles, and it is, without question, a spectacular, for a street course, they consider it one of the best. It's got a little bit of everything. I mean, the front pit straight, shoreline drive, 
very long. It's got that long arcing right-hand corner to it, but it's absolutely flat chat for most everything here. And then into the best passing zone on the track, a very tight left-hand turn one, and you're coming at it from immense amount of speed. I mean, this is a street course, and you're seeing speeds approaching 170-plus miles an hour. And down hard on the binders through the gears into that first left-hander at turn one. Not a lot of room on the exit. There's runoff. If you if you get in trouble early, you can drive straight into the runoff, and there's room there. But if you're committed into the corner and something goes wrong, there's a big wall waiting for you. Then you enter the section they call Aquarium Way, which is, one, incredibly scenic. There's always a great boom camera set up there, a camera that is leveraged that bounces around as the cars make a snug little turn two left-right-left complex that takes them around the fountain by the aquarium, then up through a right-hand turn four, and then into the turn that Brian Sellers says is the corner that if you get this corner set up correctly, it is the corner that can tell you pretty much everything you need to know about whether your car is going to be good here at Long Beach. That's turn five. And it's one of those turns where you're crowning right up over a road and back down. You're basically coming back on the west shoreline. You go up over one and then fall down the other side as you're exiting uh, out to the left side of the track. Same thing happens when you get to turn six. It's about a 110-degree corner, but it's very open. It's not overly tight, even though... It's got that angle to it because it's a very wide section of track. But once again, you're turning off of Shoreline Drive onto South Pine. You crown up, fall off. It goes off camber on the exit, and then you whistle up into Turn 8. Turn 8 is a huge corner because if you get through Turn 8, and you have got to carry speed through Turn 8. And it's, again, it's a fairly wide entry into a little bit more tight exit on the EC side way. And if you get that one right and carry speed, you might be able to steal a march and make a pass down into Turn 9. That is an opportunity if you get things right down into Turn 9. Uh, then Turn 10 is basically sort of a double apex left that sets you up for the iconic corner here at Long Beach, the hairpin. One of the tightest turns in the well, really, in any track in North America, it is that tight, street course or not. It's so tight that, in fact, a number of cars and teams actually have to modify the steering racks to be able to negotiate that corner. So it is an absolute challenge to get around that corner. And the real key here is because, in the end, this is a street circuit. Yes, it has a flow to it that many don't, but it's all about getting power down at the exit of the corners, particularly the hairpin. Uh, so that you've got you got to get your traction control working. You've got to have your mechanical grip working because being a street circuit, a lot of the key corners here are very slow corners. So for the cars like the prototypes especially, but also the GT Le Mans car that are very aero dependent, you're out of the aero. And uh, oftentimes here the GT cars will be quicker through those tight corners than the prototype cars because the, as the aero spills off the car when you're at no speed of any significant number. You don't have arrow, and so it's down to mechanical grip, getting those cars to launch and uh, either to make a pass if you're if you're trying to make a pass or to not get passed, particularly down into turn one. So those are some of the uh, challenges around this track, and again, it is quick. It is short, and uh, getting around this is spectacular, and it is said right on the... I mean, it's called the, you know, the roar by the shore. It's been known as that for years. 
and there it is right at the uh, Shoreline Village in Marina Park, and uh, overlooking the Queen Mary. It's in an absolutely glorious location. If you've never been to this one, it's one you should certainly think about coming to. It is a spectacular venue, no question about it. So let's see. The number five now has gone to the top. We're down into the 117s, a 117.7 for Joao Barbosa in the number five. It's the two team cars, the five and the 31, running up top over Westbrook. So right now it's three Corvette DPs. Then Scott Taylor and the EcoBoost Riley. Then the Corvette DP of Ricky Taylor sitting in the fifth spot. Sixth, fastest of the GT Le Mans cars, the number 24 of John Edwards, followed by the four Corvette of Milner, the 62 Ferrari of Fisichella, the 911 Porsche of Makovecki. Oh, as I say that now, Brian Sellers in the number 17 Falcon Porsche jumps up into fourth in GT Le Mans, ninth overall. Then Makovecki, now fifth. Dirk Werner in the BMW, 25. 6th in GT Le Mans, 7th is Jörg Bergmeister. In GT Le Mans, completing the GT Le Mans field, that is the defending winners, the number 3 of Antonio Garcia. Just looking at some of our monitors around here, we have a uh, split-screen monitor showing a number of the corner shots. And uh, the fountain complex is just, with this morning, low morning light, is absolutely glorious. Uh, this place is such a fun place to come race. 41 years now this race has been held, and it's an interesting, interesting scenario. You know, it started in 1975 when a guy named Chris Pook came up with the idea for this. Um, and uh, one of the guys who was part of that team, then the chief financial officer, a guy named Jim McCallion, now is the president and CEO of the uh, Grand Prix Association of Long Beach and has continued to go from strength to strength And in its 41st running. A Formula 5000 race back in 1975, won by a pretty talented driver named Brian Redman. Absolutely a phenomenal go. And uh, it just was spectacular ever since. The next number of years, Formula 1 was the series that ran. And uh, Mario Andretti was the guy that came to it and was absolutely uh, a huge, huge instrument in making this a massive, massive successful event uh, by getting the American audience watching and as uh, he outdueled a couple of awfully good drivers to get a win. Then a few years later, it moved to the Indy cars, then the kart championship. And again, Mario was the guy that uh, drew everybody's attention with a remarkable run. And it has, uh, it, I mean, this event alone is acknowledged as taking Long Beach, which was in some pretty dire straits back then, and rejuvenating this and turning it into a destination, which it certainly is now. So it's an event with great history, and it is an event that now is of great prestige. Everybody wants to race here, whether it's drivers, teams, series. Uh, they want to be here. And. They do about everything they possibly can to see if there's a way to get here and run. Keeping an eye on the scoring monitors here. And, uh, yep, still that 117.2. Actually, it is down to a 17.2 now for Barbosa.
So that would be the uh, target time, but it's going to fall. No question of that. There's been a lot of sports car racing here in terms of the top tier, of course, you know, the American Le Mans Series and the Grand Am Championship merging into the United Sports Car Championship, making their debut here last year. But uh, prior to that, from the 2013, the American Le Mans Series ran here, now part and blended into this two United Sports Car Championship. And in 06, the uh, Rolex Sports Car Series, the lead series in the Grand Am Series ran here. Scott Pruitt, by the way, winning that race. As I mentioned, Lucas Luer has the most overall victories in sports car racing here at Long Beach with four. He won with Audi, and then he won three straight with Pickett Racing when he was teamed up with Klaus Graf. Now, the year he won with the Audi, by the way, was 08 in the Audi R10 TDI. And uh, I believe that was his pole year as well. Yeah. Yep, that was the year he, uh, he pulled to win and teamed with Marco Werner. Scott Pruitt has two wins now. The one that we talked about, uh, uh, the winning in the Daytona prototype category in 06 and now uh, getting that big win last year as well. So still the 117-2 of Barbosa leads away. Hello everybody and welcome along to Long Beach. You're listening to IMSA Radio with almost 30 minutes gone. Uh, and uh, we are, well, a quarter of the way through this practice session. 90 minutes still to come. Greg Kramer and John Hindhoff live from Trackside on IMSA Radio. The Tudor United Sports Car Championship on IMSA Radio. Greg Kramer been doing a sterling job this morning. And uh, all 17 cars out, Greg. That's all good news. Everyone has done uh, some laps at least this morning. Hopefully talk to Jeremy Shaw in the pits uh, in a wee while. Uh, what's interesting to me is uh, how the GT Le Mans cars are right up among some of those uh, prototypes. Uh, it's only the top five prototypes. And then we're into the GT Le Mans cars. This track is, in some ways, absolutely built for GTLM cars. They're fast down the straight, and they punch out the corners, don't rely so much on the aero. Well, exactly, and as a result, they're the cars that uh, are they're set up a little bit more with the mechanical grip concept. They don't rely on that aero, as you said, so much for their, their stick in the corners. They get a little bit more mechanical designed right into their platforms. And on a track like this, where you're in a lot of low to medium speed corners, where the aero isn't as effective, uh, you know, we did some interviews the other night uh, out on, uh, it's called the Roar in the Shore, and it was an absolutely great experience chatting with Bill Oberlin and uh, Eric, Eric Curran. 
And Kern made the point, he said, it gets a little frustrating sometimes for them here in prototypes. He said, because the GT cars, you get into the slow turns like the hairpin, and you know, particularly there, but a couple of the other corners, they said, when you get out of the arrow and you're into that, oh, that slow part, the GT Lamar cars are often quicker through those corners than the prototype cars are. And so this is where, as a result of that, you see times very compressed between the prototype and the GT cars, uh, not much between them. And again, all about the, uh, the the simple fact that it is down to the cars with a little bit better mechanical grip. It was interesting, Bobby Rahal was talking about the chances here. Um, and you look at what the BMWs did last year here. Very strong in qualifying had a very good race run going, uh, ran into uh, a little bit of an issue with one of the cars, but uh, Bill Arbelin and Andy Prio had qualified in second uh, with John Edwards and Dirk Mueller qualifying in third, and they really thought they were in with a shot. I mean, uh, Magnuson had put in a brilliant lap in the Corvette and as a result uh, found himself on the pole. Uh, but Dirk Miller and Edwards finished second in the uh, BMW Team RLL uh, Z4 GTE. And uh, Arbelin and Prio were running incredibly well. Andy Prio coming into the pits, cut the margin a little close, knocked the mirror off his car. Rules last year were you had to have both mirrors on the car. That was a rule. And if one got knocked off, you had to fix it or replace it. And so they did their pit stop, but then they lost another 20 seconds doing a easier to change out the whole door than actually fix the mirror. Uh, only took 20 seconds to do it, which is pretty remarkable. But we talked about over the years about how this track you've got to be absolutely perfect in your execution and make no mistakes in the race and any ad, ad, extra time in the pits, you're done. And that's what happened to them. But they really thought, you know, last year they thought, well, yeah, we were in with a shout uh, for a win and maybe even a 1-2. Uh, then Magnuson or Garcia, when he started the race, got the break with the slower prototype car, got in between he and the rest of the field. And, of course, he wasn't going to waste that opportunity. But Arbelin and Prio bringing it home with a strong second-place finish. And Bobby Rayall made the comment. He said, if there was a track that was designed in many ways for the BMW Z4 GTE probably would be Long Beach. It's a little shorter wheelbase. Uh, it's got. Uh, it makes great, great mechanical grip. It's nimble, and that's what counts around these corners. Nimble with lots of grip, changes direction well. That shorter wheelbase, it's pretty effective. And by the way, you know we we're talking about the times here. I think the uh, fast time I've seen is a one seventeen, one seventeen. 3.82. Now, I think I said earlier it was a 117.2. It wasn't. It was a 117.72. But now it's dropped to a 117.3 by Dane Cameron. Uh, poll time last year was a 115.3. So we're already within two seconds of the poll from last year on a dirtier track than it will be when qualifying comes around by far. Poll time in GTLM was a 117.9. And Edwards now down at a 119.8. So within two seconds of the poll time last year. So that's just some target times to throw out to you. Since it's a new series last year, the Tudor United Sports Car Championship, uh, those were both track records to reference as well. Thank you, Greg. I do love this place. It just does. Oh. I, this morning, even coming down on the shuttle from the hotel, it was just outstanding. 
Uh, and thank you very much, by the way, to Tracy, who is our lovely driver of the uh, the Holiday Inn shuttle, who has brought us down uh, this morning. And along with, we seem to be, we're in the tyre paddock in the Holiday Inn up in Atlantic, because <laughs> right? both Continental and Michelin are up there. And there was a bit of a scuffle getting onto the bus, and the Michelin guys pushed the Continental guys to the back. It was quite funny. It was uh, I, yeah, plenty of competition Competition, there. yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> no matter where you look, you're going to find that. This is a, an intriguing session for me, uh, Greg, because the the guys are clearly going through. You, you, you can't test anywhere that replicates what's going on here. So no. you've, you've got to make the best of what you've got here. Well, you do. And the interesting thing is, uh, you know, as you said, you can't test here. So a lot of the drivers using sims of some sort. And that helps. I mean, it, it, it'll show you which way the track goes. And it might give you a feel over some of the crowns. Just, you know, an idea. But there's nothing like planting those two important sensors in the seat of that car and getting out and driving around here. And for drivers that don't have experience here, this session is huge just to get that experience. But this track, as it's public roads throughout the course of, of the year, changes from year to year anyway. Uh, and the other thing that's important here is some of the curbs here, they've got curbs where the wall's cut back and there's a curb. You can use some of the curb. Other mm. parts of the track, you can't no. because uh, those curbs will just tear the car up. And, you know, the clearances on these things are so, so – you, there's a lot to just It's so tempting with yeah. some of them because they look like you can use them. They look flat. But coming out – I mean, obviously, through – uh, through the fountain area, which is looking splendid today, uh, in the sunshine. Uh, then down that little short shoot, sharp right-hander. That next right-hander, not the first one that's tight, the one that opens up and sort of double back on itself. They've got, I noticed they've got those sort of sleeping policemen there this year, the, the what I call yeah. sausage curbs. Yeah. Now, they used to have a curb there, a, a more normal curb, and it was so tempting to use that, but it unsettled the car. I think it's interesting that that's gone this year to those yellow plastic curbs that look like you know they've come out of a, a municipal car park. And what that's going to do is certainly for the prototypes, you can't use them at all. No. You're going to take the splitter off if you go on there. Absolutely, and... and it's not a curb that once you're on it, you're on top of it and can drive through. Mm. As you said, these are spaced. Yes. So it's going to set, I mean, That's it's just going to pound over that. That is a very good point. As you go point. over it, so it's going to compress you know your damping is going to be affected i mean yeah that that's a curve you need to stay away from and we're seeing that and that's the corner that i was i, I was talking about john turn five five thank that you. brian sellers said if you get your car right through there you'll have a good car for long beach because it's got every a part of somehow of almost every component in that corner and it's a hugely important corner and it's one of those turns isn't it greg where as the delta wing just come pops into the pit lane as greg mentioned earlier first time that car's been on the streets of long beach turn five here is one of those corners that you always think you've left something in the locker you can always think ah, i could go a bit quicker around that i could go oh i'm in the wall yeah. <laughs> or I've, exactly. do you know, if I just take a bit more of that curb, I could, oh, no, I've spun out and I'm in the wall. And there's, there's two ways to go off at five. One, because you try and take way too much, uh, uh, normally turn in a little bit too early and try to take too much speed. And the front end of the car grazes the wall on the driver's left on the way out. Or you take too much curb on the right-hand side, as we've mentioned, you lose the car completely, and the back end hits the wall on driver's left. It's always going to end up driver's left. Very seldom do you see people sweep right back across. Although, I do remember a couple of years ago, a PC car doing exactly, exactly that. that. Getting the big slide on, then the wiggly. And I think, if I remember, was that Eric Curran in that car? In the PC car? Yeah. I don't think so. 
It was, I don't think it was, it was, it was somebody. I, I remember that the car was tubed. Yeah. The, the car couldn't race. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, well, you know, you're, and that's a turn. You come out of, you, you know, as you said, that fountain complex, that turn four, turn five is deceptively quick. Yeah. And so you're carrying some speed through that, especially if, if you're pushing it. And if you hit, it could be big. But it, it's one of those corners, like so many here that we were talking about, because you're literally coming from the aquarium fountain area, rejoining shoreline, and you, mm. you, come up and then you crest the crown of the road and it falls away on the exit and uh, so one of the reasons I don't I don't think that you see as many hook slides and come back across as you might see is that the crown of the road kind of directs the car to stay left uh, a little bit but again you do that there you do that going down through turn number uh, six you're up and over mm-hmm. as you exit shoreline onto pine yes uh, every time you make a turn here you're transitioning an intersection and of so right streets. at the apex, you're up and then down. Yeah, so that's a good point. You're falling off the corners almost every time from the apex out. And, I mean, there are some insanely quick areas here. Oh. Uh, and, you know, coming through to the end of the back straight. And, again, again, the other thing about this is your sight lines. You hear drivers talk about sight lines and reference points all the time, Greg. And what they normally mean is you're looking through the corner. I was with uh, Andy Prio a couple of weeks ago, um, who is obviously on British Touring Car Duty with the IHG Rewards Club BMW this weekend. So he's up at Donington, the very lovely Donington Park, on the borders of Leicestershire uh, and Derbyshire and Nottinghamshire in the UK, right in the centre of the of England and he was he's got a thing and he runs iZone which is a simulator complex uh, at Silverstone and one of the things that they're doing now is they put a set of glasses on the driver in the car in the sim right in the car you see I've already I've I've already put my mind into it I've already bought into it and what it does is it it puts a red dot on the screen where the driver is focusing and they've record that and then they show young drivers Look at where you're looking. You're looking at the end of the bonnet. You're looking at the apex when you should be looking at your exit point or you should be looking further down the road. It's really interesting. Now, that works great on a wide-open circuit like Silverstone, Watkins Glen, or even, you know, Road America or places like that. But here, you can't look through the corner because it's just wall. It's just wall. And I don't know how these guys stop themselves just staring at the walls and thereby we are driven by our eyes and thereby just driving into them. It's amazing, I mean, and there are areas now where they've tried to pull the wall back and a put those bit. curbs in yeah. to open up the sight line a smidge. But there's a few here where absolutely you're still at. It's it's a commitment, a blind turn in, and that curb might just be six feet off of that wall. But until you're already past your commitment and turn in point, you're not looking through the corner, and that becomes. Uh, as you said, one of the great challenges, and that's where the pros excel. That's what makes it so special is that these guys, they're wired differently. They uh, they have the ability to know exactly where they want to come off the brake, turn in. And one of the interesting things here is because of the nature of this track um, and the way that it works is you tend to um, not trail into the corners quite no. as much on the brakes. And, and uh, so... The car is set up just a little bit differently, and so you do a lot more just getting on the brakes and then come off and turn as opposed to trail in because of, of the pavement changes and the crowns and the like, and it makes it interesting. But, yeah, the visibility around here. I remember watching a few years ago, um, a few years ago, uh, the open cockpit cars, and normally you see a driver as he goes into the turn, if you take a look at the 
the driver's head position in an open cockpit car, if you're turning right, your head's kind of cocked yeah. over to the right just a little bit. Uh, you know, basically, obviously, everything's trying to throw you to the other side, so you kind of cock your head over just a little bit just to keep your reference point. But I was seeing a number of drivers as they would go through these corners where actually it looked like they were just their muscles had given out and their, <laughs> and their heads were flopped over yeah. to the left. And, and I these went, are fit and, guys. And, yeah, but I went and talked to them, and they said, no, no, that's not it. It's just like that's two more inches of me being able to see around that corner. Uh, no so they would leap, putting their heads up against the pad on the outside to try and give them another few inches of visibility through that corner. So uh, that's one of the challenges of this drive. Visibility, absolutely. Sight lines through these. Now, put yourself in. You're driving a concrete canyon, and you've got a big GT car in front of you. Yeah. You can't see through him. him. And you're driving in a concrete canyon. That's what makes this so special. Catherine Legg behind the wheel of the Zero, which is the Delta Wing. And she knows her way around here, of course. Uh, on board with the 7-0, Tristan Nunes. Now, Tristan celebrated his birthday recently, I seem to remember. Saw that on social media. This is the Mazda. This the unique diesel-powered P2 car. Uh, on the old Lola chassis, of course. Looking fantastic in the sunshine here, that dark red. There is just something about the slightly deeper red on that car that makes it stand out so beautifully well soul red soul red exactly it is i saw a mazda 6 on the road back in the uk the other day that was almost exactly the same shade yeah and my goodness did it look well it was sunny and i know you don't think we get much sun in in the uk but we do and it looked very nice indeed it amazes me greg when we are fortunate enough to get the onboard pictures that we do in the booth, and the guys on the screens will get them around the circuit here as well. And our uh, IMSA.com audience around the world will see them uh, in qualifying and, and the race. Just how stable the camera is. I mean, this is a street circuit. A few years ago, you wouldn't have been able to use an onboard camera at That's all amazing what done. because it would have just been rattling itself to death. Michael Viente now in the uh, 90. Visit Florida.com, proudly on the top. And that uh, Chevy-powered DP heads through the far side of the circle. It's a busy track, but there are places, and the drivers will tell you, there are places where you get a little bit of respite. Going through uh, seven now, down the back straight, and he is passed like his chin to a post. <laughs> now, who was that? Seriously. Going down into that the was complex. The five. It was the five. Yeah. Joao Barbosa. Uh, and he did... In fact, he did a 17-0 last time around, uh, the, that car's best. 16-8 for Dane Cameron, One sixteen eight. 16 uh, That car, back in the pits at the moment, the 31. 17 flat for Joao, Michael Viente, 17-1, Joey Han, 17-3. And 17-5 for Ricky Taylor in the 10. So, six-tenths of a second... Between the top five, and in GTLM, it's BMW, excuse me, it's not BMW at all. It's uh, Tommy Milner in the number four Corvette from the BMW of Lucas Lurt, who's looking to go five for five on the straights here. He has raced for several different teams here in the past, and every time he's been here in the past four, he has won. Antonio Garcia in third position. And in GTLM, disappointed right now, because the top eight, all eight cars... 
are not covered by just half a second. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're covered by seven tenths. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's it, it's just not right. Yeah, the, it, the this race, the GTLM race. I mean, the prototype battle for the overall win should be a very, very, very strong. But this GTLM battle here uh, should be spectacular. And interesting, you know, remember last year was the first year that, uh, you know, in the Grand Am ALMS era prior to the United Sports Car Championship, uh, was the first year that they ran only the two pro classes. And this race last year went green the entire way. Uh, and I think a lot of that was because, again, you got pro on pro, and uh, they they just executed this in and assuming that nobody splits the GTLM field mm. like we saw last year, I think this is going to be a staggering Well, battle. it's one from it, isn't it? You it really, is. Honestly, you can say, you know, all right, the 17 cars out there, would we like half a dozen more? Probably. But once you get into the 30s, things get a bit hectic around here. And we've seen that in the past. And a number of people on, I noticed on the IMSA forums this week saying, I'll take quality racing at the front of the he- field ahead of full course yellow. And I think exactly. everybody here would would say the same. It's a short race. It's a real sprint. Um, one stop, probably. Maybe two for the prototypes, but certainly only one for the GT cars. And haven't we've seen in the past, the BMW won here, having had a nightmare at the start, being forced to change their strategy, and came through from the back of the pack. So it's not over till it's over here. Well, it isn't, and it all comes down to sometimes making that right call. And uh, going with a risk assessment, I mean, that's, uh, you know, a part of it. If somebody does the early stop and you decide to stay out and and uh, opt to go for a short fill later, um, if you don't get a caution, that could absolutely be the winning move if you're, if you're quick enough during the race. But uh, you run that huge risk. Well, making it all pro with the two pro category classes here, uh, that makes that a more viable I think option, yeah. and it certainly uh, you know makes it uh, very exciting to see it all play out here as to just what's going to unfold. But uh, you know, as you said, the GTLM cars that we were talking about this, John, they get through some of these tight corners incredibly well, quicker even than the prototypes. So when the prototypes come up and catch these GTLM cars, getting around them, it's not like you've got that those huge long banked sections of Daytona or even a couple of the long straight sections that you've got at a Sebring. Here, uh, you've got that front straight down shoreline, and even that's not straight, and you move offline to make a pass there to go around the outside. That's where a lot of junk gets thrown, and uh, so there's just an awful lot to really be paying attention to around here. It's a track that I've only driven a couple of times in a car. My first lap around here was in a brand-new Corvette, as a Vitesse lap, as a course clearing lap in front of the Indy cars, I was throwing a set of keys and said, see if you can keep up with the other two. And I wasn't even sure which way the track went. So that was quite interesting. <laughs> that happened to be in <laughs> Detroit as well. Um, I was supposed to be recording something, and the, Michael, who was sitting next to me with the recorder, he said, are you not going to talk about this? I said, I might be a bit busy. Yeah. Just trying to hang on to uh, to Patty Mayer and the rest of the Vitesse crew, as it was in the LMS days. Uh, it's a it's a track. You know, we talk about this as a street circuit, and it surely is. 
But if you actually laid this out and looked at it, there are flowing sections to it, as you mentioned, particularly towards the end of the lap, through uh, turns one, two, and three, as well through the, the fountain area, that if you laid that out and took the city streets away, it would look like a racetrack. And I think that's yes. what people forget about this. St. Peter's a, is, is a similar sort of, of deal as well, where, yes, it's a street track, but there's some serpentine... It's not just point, break, turn, squirt, point, but it's, it's not that at all. It's a momentum track, and the Very drivers like it because they can make a difference here, Greg. Oh, that's it. I mean, being able to hustle a car around this place, uh, being able to run the margins out, uh, it is. It, it, it's a track that doesn't race like a street circuit in a lot of ways uh, from just the feel, as you said. Yeah. If you were to take the walls away, you know, you look at it and you go, well, that's a fun track, you know. Mm. Uh, and so it's just a matter of now, of now throwing the walls on it. Uh, but what happens is with the walls uh, and, you know, with the closeness of the of the competition, you know, we talk about how important qualifying is going to be here when that happens this afternoon. Oh. It's massive, yeah. absolutely massive here. Well, you, you want to get out of the issues of that first corner nightmare, isn't it? We've, we, we've seen it plenty of times before here where uh, there's an issue as people go into the first corner and if you're right in the middle of the pack, uh, then you're going to get caught up with it. So as, as, as people always say to me, um, you only, there's only two places that you want to be, right at the front or right at the back. back. Exactly. <laughs> and that is true. Uh, now, one thing that they will do is obviously I think uh, you know, they, they do tend to. It isn't a split start. But they tend to try and give a little bit of room, uh, you know, to let the other uh, the GTLM cars have a little freer run on that opening lap, and that will help matters. Uh, but track position, and that's one of the things. What every interview that I've done when I'm talking to you know the drivers walking the paddock, at some point, and whether it's the drivers, whether it's the strategy guy in the box, whether it's the team, whatever, track position, always. That is the mega thing here. And they said that starts with qualifying. On program. If you find ah. yourself way back, right off the go in qualifying, ever getting that track position, John, is going to be tough. Uh, and Jeremy Shaw is in the ether. Good morning, Jeremy. Heard you for a brief second there. And has disappeared again. Radio waves don't travel around this circuit. We've found this before. <laughs> well, lots of big buildings. Lots of metal uh, with the fencing and the bridges and the like. And Jeremy then, of Shaw course, has been doing sterling yeah. work down in the pit lane with a soldering iron and some jam. And he's working really well <laughs> down there at the moment. And we uh, hopefully will hear him in a wee moment or two. Got him there for a second. The, uh, Ricky Taylor, by the way, in the 10 car at the moment, sitting in fifth position, uh, is the subject of the big screen on board. For those of you who are here trackside, and thank you for turning out early morning. Plenty of you, I can see, with a variety of uh, sports car racing, T-shirts, caps, etc. Clearly enjoying the IMSA United Sports Car uh, Championship free practice, which is uh, just coming up to halfway. There's another hour of this yet. What a fine way to start a holiday weekend, or at least a racing weekend. When you're racing, it's like a holiday, though, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Un unless you're doing hard work. <laughs> Unless you're a crew guy. Yeah, that's uh, all. And we should say as well, thank you very much to all the corner workers here yes. this weekend. Yeah. These are long, hard days uh, on the streets of Long Beach. And uh, hopefully some of you will be tuned in to the scanner frequency, which is 454 even, by the way. 
And I did remember to switch that on this morning. And uh, thanks to the guys from Racing Radios for sorting that out for us. Uh, and also on the PA here uh, as well. And uh, what a fine sound system that is. So thank you for turning out early. We do appreciate it, and so do the teams and drivers. Uh, you, you could not have a more different start to a championship season, Greg, than Daytona, Sebring and Long Beach. Three classic events, <laughs> three absolutely historic events, but my goodness, what absolutely different from each other. It's a story of reducing sums, isn't it? 24 <laughs> hours, 12 hours, 100 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and you... And <laughs> The amazing thing when you when you look at it is they all pay they all pay huge points and uh, so it's just it's a completely different dynamic and uh, these that's what makes this type of racing so wonderful is the variety that unfolds. Jeremy Shaw, Jeremy Shaw, do you hear me? One two three. Hello, Jeremy. Three three two one. Well, that's good. That's perfectly clear. One two three. Three two one. Hello, Jeremy. Long Beach, California. Well, we can hear him. Jeremy, we can hear you perfectly well. Hello, Jeremy, can you big hear us? Big static. Ah, big static, he said. But that's clean to him, so we're halfway there. That's all Absolutely. good. Absolutely. Absolutely. One way's working great. <laughs> <laughs> so the 24 BMW still has Lucas Lur on board, which it has had. For some time, 120, excuse me, 119.3 for Tommy Milner in the Corvette, ahead of another front engine V8 of a European variety, 119.6. Last time you'll see the Z4 here, of course, uh, BMW uh, bringing that car to the end of its competitive life in GTE and indeed in GT3 as well. The new car, much trailed but not officially confirmed yet, is the M6 Coupe. The GT3 car being spotted testing uh, in Europe. There is not a GTLM version of that car, so not really sure what RLL will do uh, next year in terms of its racing. Although, of course, Greg, GT3s we will see as part of what is now called GTD. Not here this weekend, but at least GT3, full FIA spec GT3, will be part of IMSA United Sportscast next year. And I think that's a very exciting, uh, very exciting development. I do too. Uh they, they. I mean, you, you only need to look at what's going on globally, uh, and here in the in the U.S. with GT Racing now that utilizes the uh, the GT3 platform, and it is spectacular stuff. And I think it's going to be great. Uh, interestingly, that means that the uh, the GTLM cars, um, you know, they're. Reports are they're going to up their game a little bit. They're going to give them a bit more in terms of concession to bring to make them just a little bit quicker. Uh, so I mean, I think what we're going to see next year. And to me, this is we've been going the opposite way for so long. Mm. It's, re, it's refreshing to see this. We're going to actually be making cars faster next year instead of slowing them down. I love it, and that's <laughs> that's never a bad thing. And the drivers no. will love that as well. More power and less grip. I always think is a good thing. <laughs> then you see drivers working as drivers. Absolutely. And again, comes back to what I said about this track. Drivers like to feel like they're making a difference, Greg. And it tracks where they can here. Spa, uh, Watkins Glen, Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta. Uh, Master Raceway Laguna Seca, the next stop on the IMSA United Sports Car uh, Series calendar, championship calendar. I mean, come on. Again, if we look at those first four... Of, of Sebring, uh, Daytona Sebring here and Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca 
there will be people around this circuit now who will be thinking whether they or not they should take the drive up to Mazda for that next uh, uh, Laguna circuit for that next round and the answer is always yes two words uh, yeah ah uh, yeah <laughs> hell yeah, yeah exactly you need to because you're looking at two of of the most glorious racetracks mm-hmm. I think globally mm-hmm. and you can get to both of them if you're from California oh yeah the, this is a an amazing global street circuit, and you go up the road to Mazda Race with Laguna Seca, it is one of the most stunning road courses. Uh, the setting is just off the charts up there. I, I never tire of coming here for this event or to Mazda, funny enough. They are two of the places where you never get bored of driving in, or, or in this case, we walk in, obviously. But last night when we came down from LAX off the plane, you know, it's a long flight, 11 and a bit hours, in an aluminium tube, and then you get out, you jump in the car, you come down, and as you're getting closer, and as you're coming down the main drag here, and you realise that you can't go where the sat-nav wants to take you, where the GPS wants to take you, because it's a racetrack. I know. And, that, it's and you look down cool the street, feeling. and there's a racetrack. And even when we, we came in round on the beach, parked up the back to bring the kit up, some of the kit up into the booth here, and just... Walking up to the top, I mean, we look behind us, we can see the Queen Mary and, you know, the the beautiful marina behind us. This is, If I turn around and look away from the track, this is a holiday destination, not a workplace. It truly is. It truly is. Yeah, the Queen Mary, which is now a, a hotel with some fine restaurants. There's the structure that used to house the Spruce Goose. Howard Hughes, yeah. great plane. And off to that now, we've got a uh, Carnival Cruise Line ship. There was a big Princess Cruises ship. It is an absolute holiday destination here. The marina and the shoreline village here, these shops, I mean, it is just absolutely spectacular. I need and to do a deal with somebody. And then you add in the somebody. sound of race cars. Oh, no, that's no. I need to do a deal with somebody to get on one of these... Uh, on one of these boats that's lined up behind us here. And that would be the place for IMSA Radio to be billeted next year so we could walk all of 150 metres to get to work. And I have a suspicion that they might have a decently stocked wet bar in some of those I as think well. you're probably spot on there. Yeah. yeah. Which, obviously, in the interest of science. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> now, to make it happen, I'm guessing the salaries are really good here. I don't need to buy one. I just need someone to let us have a go of it. You know, just oh, I loan see it what you're a... saying. Oh, you're into... Oh, you... Mooch. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, Mooch. Got it. All right. Yeah, if, if anyone's got... A, we, um, Fairline, believe it or not, our Fairline boats are built about three miles from where I live uh, on the on the middle Nen, And uh, not... Not very many of them will be able to float past the bit of the river that runs past our house because the river's quite small. But Fairline uh, are a fantastic boat builder. And there's a couple of very nice Fairline Phantoms that I saw on the way in. Uh, and there's a nice Targa 42 that I saw down there. Any of those would be fine. Delightful. Yes. Yes. And if, so if anyone here is listening and has a boat in the marina behind us that they would like to donate to IMSA Radio for next year, then, you know... Well, Just for a few days. Yeah, well, talking oh, no, no, yeah, it's, that's that, right, exactly. Yeah, you know, you know so it's, it's sort of like, that's not you know, unreasonable. Thursday, Thursday to Sunday, really. Yeah. That's all we're talking about. By the way, we have our first <laughs> oh, sub, <laughs> our first sub 117 lap, Ooh. Eric Kern in the number 31 Action Express. Corvette DP has turned a 1 minute 16.898 pole time last year, a 115.3. So we're down now 
well under two seconds at least for that lap. And I'm telling you, I just have a gut feeling about that uh, that 31 car. Mm. Even though it had its issues at both Daytona and at Sebring uh, it, that, that robbed it from a really strong finish, mm-hmm. I mean, they had fast lap at Daytona in the prototype ranks. And everybody is saying, watch out for this car. Yeah. It, no. it, it, I think it's going to be fascinating to, uh, to see what unfolds here. I... The thing is about those guys is they just don't know when to give up, do they? I mean, no. that's, that's one <laughs> exactly. thing. They, they, they will just push and push and push. Uh, the key thing about this session, uh, and we have just gone over the hour mark, so we're halfway through if you are joining us live here on IMSA Radio uh, all around the circuit on 454 even, our scanner frequency. Uh, you've got to be clean in this session. You do not want to be giving your mechanics any issues now because you will just lose track time. And there's not enough of it here. Um, I'm kind of wondering what might happen this weekend with the Michael Shank racing car, the 60 car. At the moment, sitting in sixth position, John Pugh in the car. Uh, he's just got into that car. 1.18.0, the best for that car. And I have a feeling that we're not seeing everything that that car can give right at the, the moment. I, they might not even battle Ooh. for Paul as off. Has, one of the Mazdas. It's the seven... It's the 07 car. Yep. It's Tom Long. And he's gone straight on where, Greg? Is that... I'm trying to... That's the, I'm, try, I'm trying to look at the, the bits that we can see. It's all not we're seeing is th- tires <laughs> that he's entered. So, And a very nice Tudor banner. Now, he's trying to get down... All of these cars have a procedure to get into reverse. And racing gearboxes don't like to be shifted if the engine's not running. So he'll have to get restarted first. Then find a neutral... And oh. then get reversed, which he's done. I think he's got away with that for the most part. Is that... Is that 8, 9 and 10 sort of area? End of the lap? Oh, no, it's not, is it? No. Let's have a look. Oh, that's that's exit of the fountain, wasn't it? Oh, wow, it's that early on. You're right, it is. Now, that's caught me out a little bit. Right, well... So that's the early part of the lap. Now, the steering wheel is pretty straight, Greg, so... He may have just gotten away with that. He's touring back in. We are still under green, by the way. And Tom is straight back. Do you know, I, I'm i not sure he's done any damage at all on that. He hasn't even deranged the front end of the car. That's pretty remarkable. See if we can get a, a look on one of the static cameras as he comes further around the track. There he goes there. That looked pretty straight for me. Didn't look bad at all, yeah. That's wow. Pretty, that's really, he got away with one, no question. Very rarely here you make a mistake, and what I would guess there, uh, that he's either found someone else at the apex of the fountain, or he's just taken a little bit too much curb on the first left-handed part, and it's put him out of kilter with the middle part of the corner itself, and he's had to go straight on and abort the final part of the corner, but whatever, he has continued, and I haven't even seen him come into the pit lane yet. I think he might be coming in now. Let's see if he, uh, I think he's just coming out of the hairpin. Does he pit? I lean forward. He is in the pit lane. There is, well, I can't see any damage at all. There might be a tiny bit of, of rub on the left front where the splitter is, Greg. But other than that... Well, the good news is is where he went off, and by my calculations, I think it was just the exit of three, and uh, that's one of the very slowest parts yes. of the track. And so the contact, and there's lots of tires there, and they do a nice job. 
and uh, they look like they may have done it there. Uh, you know, the problem is, is you come through that fountain complex, and there's that curb that wraps around. There's the fountain, and then on the outside edge of the fountain, in between the curb and the fountain itself, is some absolutely beautiful landscaping and flowers and the like. And uh, if you miss your your turn in for that part of the of, of the corner, and again, as you said, he may have had company alongside. Because all we saw was suddenly the onboard shot of him driving in. Uh, so we don't really know why he went off. Uh, but uh, at least it's not very quick over in that section where he went off. Uh, coming from one into the fountain, you've still got a little bit of speed built up at the exit of one. And then you get on the brakes hard for that, uh, that quick little sort of right-left-right around the fountain. And where all that gorgeous landscaping and flowers are, there's no official penalty for mowing some of that down, but the organizers of the event do frown upon it when they see tulip bulbs and roses and stuff flying in the air. That's Let's just say you may not be penalized, but you'll be judged harshly. Let's see. Gavin, the number four Corvette, eighth overall, tops in GT Le Mans. At a 119.3. And a 17.9 was pulled last year. So mm. they're getting down with a two under a yes, second and a half be. away. Jeremy Shaw. And uh, we have finally managed to align the satellite and say good morning to Jeremy. Morning, sir. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> hey, fantastic. Super to hear you. Uh, I've been able to hear you uh, on uh, on my headset for the last couple of minutes, uh, but that's about it. So, for the benefit of, of anybody else who's just getting up here, it's got ungodly hour. We start well, it's not really ungodly now, I guess. It's almost nine o'clock, but it's a very very early start today. So maybe you guys can bring us all, including me, up to speed on what's happened in the first hour of the session, please. And I will look forward to giving you an update very very soon. All right, thanks, Jeremy. Uh, Eric Curran has the fastest time, or at least the uh, 31 car has with a, a wonderful time uh, already of 1.16.8, so less than one and a half seconds away from last year's pole time set in the qualifying session. Remember, this is an open session of two hours. We've had an hour and eight minutes of it. Christian Fittipaldi now in the second place car. This is the five prototype, uh, and that's a 17.0, so just a tenth and a half between first and second, and then less than that, 17.042 for Fittipaldi, 17.079 for Jordan Taylor uh, in third place. Jumping up there in the number 10 car, Michael Viente is in the 90, uh, and he is in fourth position, 17.1, 17.2 for fifth place, the 0-1 of Joey Hand, uh, making the top then five Jeremy and everybody else, three and a half tenths between them. And then we drop a second or so to John Pugh in the 60 car, the Michael Shank racing car. Catherine Legg's been doing the bulk of the work this morning in the zero in the Delta wing. The two Mazdas uh, are down in 16th and 17th with a 20.9 and a 23.3. Tom Long just been in the tyres at turn three but didn't seem to do any damage. In GTLM, Ollie Gavin now ahead uh, of the rest of the field in the four car. It was Tommy Milner who put the time of 119.3 in. 19.6 
for Lucas Lowe in second place in the 24 BMW. And in third, Antonio Garcia in the second of the Corvettes, the three car with the 19.6. Bill Oberlin in the second of the BMWs. So it's a bit uh, Noah's Ark at the front, two by two Corvette <laughs> and uh, BMW with Bill Oberlin a 19.7. Uh, also on a 19.7. 789 as opposed to 712. Pierre Caffer in the Ricci Competizione 62 Ferrari. Then the two Porsches, the 912 and the 911, uh, not really getting down to it this morning. 199, we're talking fractions, of course, because he's less than half a second away from Ollie Gavin. And Patrick Peele uh, in the 911, 911, if you see what I mean. The uh, time there, yeah. 120.2. <laughs> I know, it gets me every time. Me too. And 120.2 <laughs> for Wolf Henser. So the whole GT field in. Under a second. And that's how it stands at the moment. And surprisingly few issues, uh, Greg Kramer, who's alongside me, uh, in terms of the guys out there. Only Tom Long we saw with the problem earlier on. And that brought him into the pits. But I don't think he's done that much damage to the car, if I'm honest. Yeah, it certainly didn't look too bad when he made that run down uh, down pit lane. And the interesting thing that we're getting some reports on here uh, via Twitter and the like uh, Keeping in mind the kind of speeds we're seeing, that 16.8 from uh, uh, from uh, Cameron and the 19.3 from Gavin, you would expect the track to be slippery, being it's the first actual session uh, for the actual race cars out there on a street circuit that otherwise is public roads. But there was a drifting session at the end of the evening last night. There were some drifting cars out there, which, of course, throw down all kinds of different rubber, balls of rubber off onto the uh, track. I mean, all kinds of things out there. So the reports that we're getting from some of the teams are, are they're saying, we track's even slipperier than usual here. So the times that we're seeing now is uh, pretty impressive, I think, to be sure. And once we get into that final 30 minutes, at that point, the groove's starting to be coming in just a little bit. Uh, you know, the debris and detritus that you find on a street course uh, are kind of blown off to the side, and you actually start to get a line. That's when I think we're going to start to see some relatively uh, spectacular times. And, uh, again, uh, Cameron... That 116.8 that he laid down, current behind the wheel of that car now, uh, that's pretty impressive times for considering the condition of the track. For once, of course, Jeremy Shaw, who's down amongst the action, uh, this is not the first competitive action on the streets of Long Beach this season. No, that's exactly right, John. Uh, the Formula, FIA Formula E Championship was here uh, a couple of weeks ago on at least part of the circuit. They didn't use the full uh, 1.9 miles that they're using this weekend for the uh, 41st annual uh, Grand Prix of Long Beach, but they did use a portion of it. But I tell you what, it's great to be down here again. I'm actually down at the last couple of corners, right? That's that sweeping left-hander that leads into the very tight hairpin at Turn 10, and that was one of the Corvettes going coming out of the hairpin. It's a great place to watch here the sun is up it's a beautiful day here in southern california can you you've got to, you've got to be feel jealous for the people who live here haven't you oh that's me yes <laughs> oh dear we seem to have lost jeremy <laughs> i'm the luckiest guy around i can tell i you can that. understand why you didn't move once you settled yourself <laughs> here in fairness living under the radar here we get a great view from thank you jeremy uh, we get a great view of the start line and we can see a little bit of the, the 
back end of the circuit as the guys come through the fast twisties. But I am rather envious of uh, Jeremy out in the sunshine this morning. I did indeed. I have got part of the hind-off legs on shore today, which I know is a little bit scary uh, for everyone, not least Greg, who is closest to them. And, uh, oh. <laughs> easy. I'm easy. sorry. I'm sorry. Medication's was... kicking in. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Do you know what? As much as I love this place, and normally I would jump at anything, I, would I have a race here? I suppose I, I think you'd have to, wouldn't you? If somebody said, "Right, you can have a race here," um, I think you'd have to. I think you'd have to to be able to say you'd done it. There's a few. P- it, it is Jeremy exactly right. Have you have you ever raced here, Jeremy? Uh, no, I haven't raced here myself. But uh, it, it, it's. I've been coming here now for. I guess well, half the race's history. I came here for well, more than that actually. First came here in 1986, and I think I've been here everyone since then. So, uh, you know, it, it is a fabulous event, and you know, for the, the uh, for the fans, you know, the grandstands here at Turn Nine, you've got a really good view of the cars, and they're not far away either. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the drivers had to work fairly hard through this section because it's, it's one of the Corvettes comes through. Uh, you, you've really got to use use the curb on the inside, and then yeah, there's a variety of lines you could take going into the hairpin. And yeah, if you're really brave here in the race, you can make a pass down there at the hairpin. But you've really got to think about it. It's it's not just uh, stuffing down the inside and hope. You've got to really make the passes here. And there's a lot of strategy really just in terms of driving the car yeah. and, and where you put the car on the racetrack. I'm, I'm thinking if you got rung up then, if, if you got a phone call, Jeremy, for the uh, the Toyota Pro Celebrity Race, then uh, you'd be you'd be in there like Flynn. I certainly would be. I think now I've thought about it. Yes. I'd yeah. The, the only problem is I'm not really a pro or a celebrity. I guess that's the. Apart from that, though, yeah, I certainly would. Pro celebrity <laughs> and others. And others. Yes. <laughs> we would be the others at the back. We wouldn't be any trouble to anybody. We'd just sit at the back and mind Oh no, we'd, we'd, oh, we'd be charging. We'd be charging. <laughs> I've seen I you. I love street circuits. I've seen you. I've seen you doing uh, doing these challenge races before, Jeremy. For those of you with long memories, jumped into a VW. Uh, race, diesel race at Road Atlanta when we were there for Petit Le Mans a few years ago and uh, did a pretty good job he, he was well in the top two thirds of, of a very big field and it was wet during the race <laughs> and he absolutely stormed up in those front wheel drive diesels and uh, can't remember how far down he was he started I think he started about 18th or 19th but well inside the top 10 by the end, and was absolutely mighty. Very impressed with Mr. Shaw. Still got, still got it. Clearly, I'm not sure whether he's still got his Formula Ford 2000 car. He did used to campaign that as well. Yeah, he did. Yeah, all good stuff. Um, just trying to find the time, I suspect, like <laughs> like yeah. all of us. Uh, as the zero one back out in the circuit now, in the hands of Joy Hand, Jordan Taylor in the pits in the number ten. Bill Arbelin now just sets fastest GT Le Mans time in the number 25 IHG Rewards Group BMW at a 119.1. He could have almost got a local bus to work this morning with Don Dope Beach, lad. <laughs> yeah, very close. Drove down through there yesterday trying to miss some of the traffic on the freeways. So yeah, I tell you, great story. When he, He'd run here for so many years. I mean, I've announced him here in Atlantics. I've announced yeah. him here in a variety of different types of sports cars. Mm-hmm. He's podiumed. He had never won. When he won it in 2013, when he went back home, they had a big party that was set up. Nice. Bill got there. He said, we're just having fun. We're just celebrating, enjoying the moment. 
and the mayor of Redondo Beach walked into the party with the key to the city. No way. It was that big a news for the local boy to uh, to finally bring that one home. So, you know, this is, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, there are those special races you always want to win. You know, your home race is one you want to win. And then there's those special races. Well, for Bill Oberlin, that's all kind of combined into this one. And uh, to finally get that one after all those near successes, uh, pretty spectacular. Uh, Jeremy Shaw is has made his way down to the hairpin sort of area and is watching the guys. Interesting that the slowest corner on the track is often here, Jeremy, a good uh, litmus test of how good the cars are elsewhere. Who's looking good down there at the moment? It's just it's a great place to watch this. I've been right down on the track side against the wall on the outside of turn nine. I need to take a step back if anybody comes if <laughs> makes a mistake here. The good news is that these days, the, unlike in the past, it used to be just a wall on the inside, and frequently somebody would just clip that wall on the inside, and that would throw them into it, exactly where I'm standing right now. But what the what the uh, track guides have done here over the last it's been quite a while now but they put a, a kind of a curbing and some bollards on the inside of the corner to protect the wall and stop people making that mistake but I was just watching the, the number 31 wheel and Corvette I think you said it's Eric Curran at the wheel of that car correct <laughs> sharing the course with Dane Cameron really hustling around here fascinating here he comes right now so again and you can hear him there on and off the throttle really tight line around that corner that's exactly the look, sort of line that, that Nigel Mansell used to take around here uh, in the champ car going way back many other guys they take a much wider arc through the corner and they and they and they kind of kind of keep a, a constant throttle but uh, who, if that's uh, eric curran really interesting a very very tight line and just on and off the throttle that car really ba- uh, balanced on the edge of control cool to watch and he's just peeled off into the pit lane after the best time set uh, in that car just uh, well, a little bit a little while ago, but it was a 116.8. 116.9 for Joey Hand, 17.0 for Christian Fittipaldi, 31.0, 1 and 5, your top three in prototype. GTLM, it's it's been a change now as Dirk Werner has bounced to the top. And it's BMW, it's still the same, uh, it's still the same suspects, but they've swapped round. It's now BMW Corvette, BMW Corvette. It was, remember, Corvette, BMW, Corvette, BMW. The 25 car has leapfrogged or leapfrog all of the cars ahead of it. Was sitting down in fourth position, jumps to the top now with Dirk Werner with a 117. Excuse me, 119.129. I've been looking at too many different uh, timing screens recently. Uh, 119.1, in fact, uh, is the best time. Two tenths of a second better than Ollie Gavin now in the four car. Lucas Lerr, 19.6. Also a 19.6 for Jan Magnussen. 19.7 for Pierre Kaffer. 19.9 for York Bergmeister. The top six separated by nothing at all. Seven tenths of a second. That's bonkers, isn't, isn't that it? amazing? On a I short track it. like this? Yeah. So well, it's what yeah. we've come to get big. I mean, those are street cars on a street track, and that will be a Saturday night street fight. I mean, literally, it, if we you know, push that analogy as, as absolutely as far as it can, but those cars are properly based on street cars. And, all right, perhaps not the street cars that you or I can afford on our uh, me- meagre salaries, but... Certainly, cars that we would all love to go down to our BMW, Corvette, Ferrari or Porsche dealers to to uh, put them, if we drop the Powerball this weekend. Yeah, exactly. One of each, I think. I think so. Yes. Why not? 
<laughs> we can, because we can build a bigger garage. You can always build. build a bigger garage. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that it amazes me about this, that margin you're talking about for all eight of these GTLM cars, it's on a dirty track. Yes. And they're still that close. I mean, just imagine what we're going to potentially see come qualifying this afternoon. Uh, and, again, they do have that practice session right before qualifying, so it's an opportunity to just do a little bit more tweaking. But, uh, it, you know, as I said, track time here very much at a premium. That practice, uh, 4.45 to 5.20, so about, what is that, 35 minutes. And then uh, you get a 10-minute break and then right into the two qualifying sessions, GTLM first, then prototype. So it's get it done in a hurry time. Yeah, no Enjoy time. The, yeah, exactly. No Enjoy time the lap here on the uh, big screens uh, with the number 90. In the hands of Michael Valiante, that visit Florida.com Corvette. Michael, I'm not sure has been given down the years the uh, has been given the support or the recognition was the word I was looking for the recognition that he deserves. He's a very very good driver, normally very consistent, and finally he gets himself into a you know a really competitive drive. Uh, he's got another full season here in the uh, MC United Sports Car Championship. And he just he's one of those guys, I think because he quietly just goes about his business, he gets in the car, he reels off the laps, he gets out. Seldom do you see him involved in any incidents. Seldom do you see him throwing the car at the scenery. And that's exactly what you need, of course, isn't it, of a teammate? Well, laps, completing laps. I mean, that's, you know, that's everything. I mean, you can have, we've seen it over the years in a variety of different series. There are guys that are just wicked fast, but the odds are eventually they're going to throw it into the wall. Uh, well, that's not how you win a race, and that's not how you help get a car dialed in. And one of the things when you talk to other people about Michael, you know, his competitors, uh, competitors his peers, is they say precision. He's very much a precision driver, and it's that ability to be precise and therefore lap after lap after lap, be able to click off uh, very, very consistent times. That's how you can work and develop and build the setup on a car, and uh, he seems to do that very well. And they come in here, that number 90 Corvette team, third in the points. And, yes, you know, we've got uh, two races in the book, so there's, there's not a lot. That's been done yet. But, you know, they come in here, and they're only seven points off wow. the lead. I mean, you know, and basically, in reality, they're second in points because the guy who has second in points, Scott Dixon, at this stage, not a full-season runner. Good point. So, yeah, you've got uh, Barbosa and Bourdais. Uh, Barbosa and Fittipaldi, who, of course, ran the opening two races with Sebastian Bourdais, leading in the points, then second in the points, uh, Valiente and Westbrook, who shared the opening couple of races with Mike Rockefeller. And then, third in the points, Dane Cameron and Eric Curran. Problems and all, their refusal to say, as you said, they don't know when to say enough. No. Uh, come back and they find themselves third in the points. Yeah. And, and you know what? I love that because that is fair reward for those guys and their team who just 
want to keep trying. No, no, honestly, we can fix it. It, it's, it reminds me a bit of... They're, they're like the guys... You know, they're like the knight in Monty Python. It's a flesh wound. Yes. Yeah, but the front end of the car's hanging off, guys. We can fix that. It's, Don't worry. Yeah. It's, that'll cost us half a tenth. Don't worry. We'll get about, Guys, it's got no wheels on at the moment. Oh, we'll sort that out. It's not yeah, a problem. Yeah, it, we'll, yeah, yeah you limp know. it around. Yeah, yeah. We'll get you back I'll, out. Yeah, I'll headbutt you to death. Don't worry. <laughs> if, we can get, if we can get it fired up and out there, honestly, it'll be fine. We're, I, th- brilliant. And I love exactly. that attitude. I really love that attitude from those guys. And they have, as I say, been rewarded, as you rightly say, effectively second in the championship. Uh, not everyone doing the full season this year. Could see a big uh, point swing, couldn't we, this weekend? Because it's, this is the first of the non-endurance rounds, the Tequila Patron North American Endurance uh, Cup. Well, in a way, this is what really now starts the championship run because now you're in with the drivers who are paired up for the year. You, yes, you get to the Glen for the six hours, you might run a third driver there. Mm-hmm. But for most of the races now, until we get to the Petit Le Mans, uh, it's the two drivers that are the nominated drivers for the points championships in these cars. And this is where that real championship battle really starts to go. For the teams, the manufacturers, every race is identical. But now it's down to the two guys that are uh, two drivers that are in the car for the season. Uh, that are really going to have things start to play do, out. Do you think that, um, in, in some ways, might change how they go about their racing, Greg? In in what way? Well, because you've got that, um, because you've you've got that championship spur now that you know. Mm, I'm I'm fourth at the minute. Do I really need to go for third, particularly here, and maybe end up with nothing? Yeah. Well, I think I think you, it's never, in a way, too early to to keep that points battle in mind. I mean, yes. one of the things that the Visit Florida guys were talking about, you know, they said their biggest concern in the off season when they would have team meetings and visit is they said, remember at Sebring last year they had that massive problem, and they said we fell so far behind in the points that they said we got the win yeah. at uh, at uh, the Glen, and we were still way back. And they said, and you know, I think this applies, is get points. If you want to be a championship contender, get points. And if that means, all right, you know, the difference between fourth and third is not that big a point swing, but the difference between fourth and the wall and nada oh. is huge. So, yeah, you, I think at, at a certain – and that's where the pros get it normally is they'll look at it and they'll say, what's the risk versus reward here? And is it worth it? And if they decide it is, they'll go for it. And if they decide, nope, right now, you know, we've got a fifth-place car. We're fourth. Don't push it. If something happens, we'll take advantage of it. Points at the start of the season, I always think, uh, you know, they are in the bank. I know it's a cliche. It's like scoring early in a a ball game. You know, you can't take – okay, in motor racing, you can't get points taken away from you. Most of the time, you can't lose those points. You've got those bank – you have a couple of bad races. Everybody at some stage has a, a race where something doesn't go quite right for them. Let's not call it luck, but let's call them not perhaps executing or you know something not quite going their way. Everybody gets that through the season. And to be able to have a points bank where you can have a bad score, where maybe you're sixth or seventh rather than you've been running second or third all season, if you've got that in the bank, that's great. If you're chasing all year, 
Number one, the pressure's on you, you're chasing, you possibly make more mistakes, have to take more chances. Number two, you're always trying to grab that extra point, that extra exactly. two points. And, and I think that's, I always think you'd be, you're much better off at the, to have a good start to the season. Those guys who come out the blocks quickly at the start of the season, for the most part, get a good run at the championship. You do see people, and I remember people like Alex Job racing down the years when it was uh, the American Le Mans series with him, sir. Getting the big more, getting the momentum from that. Remember, we used to have that period after Le Mans where we had a lot of races on the road and very few people would even get back to home base. And that was when the Alex Job guys used to come to life. And they were just race after race, relentlessly picking up. And that was where their championship run would start. That's a bit of an exception. If you get... All the guys who had good starts to the last two or three seasons, if you think about the guys from BMW a couple of seasons ago, when they cleaned out the first three or four or five races of the year in GTLM, you know, that set them up right. for the championship run. And it's, well, I, I do think it's important. Well, Half I, an hour to go, by the way. You know, but you think about it. Alex Job's success, what, this year at Sebring, they got their 10th win at Sebring, I yeah. think, right? Yeah. Well, that was, for LMS, that was the opener. Yeah. So you, it, if you've got... In, in your CV, 10 wins at Sebring. Yep. You started that season, as you said, banking that points, and then they used to have a lot of bonus points. So you bank those points. Then, if, as you were talking about, if Alex Job and that group, the teams that then can execute in the dog days when you are, everything is getting thrown at you, that that's when you excel and execute mm. and do everything right. You've got that bank of points from the opening couple of races, and then you put it together in those stretch runs. Gold. And, and, it's and, just gold. And isn't it much better to be able to say to your team, right, guys, we've got a third-place finishing car this weekend. I don't think we can win the race, particularly if you're in the stretch towards a championship. I don't think we can win this. But, guys, we don't have to. Fifth will be fine. So, actually, third, if we if we do what we need to do, we're actually doing better than we need to. So, you know, fine. Go out there. Keep out of trouble. Let's run for third. If we get better than third, great. If we drop down to fourth, it's no biggie, guys. You know, of yeah. course, we'd like to have the points with it. And that's what the points that you've banked at the start of the season gives you. That's the difference in the mental attitude. Half an hour to go. You're live on IMSA Radio with Greg Kramer, John Heinoff, and Jeremy Shaw. More from uh, Jeremy in a wee moment. He's too busy enjoying the sunshine and the motor racing. And thank you for coming out to Long Beach, if you have, or tuning in around the world. Uh, back in the UK at the moment uh, just coming on to 20 minutes past five on a Friday afternoon with the news that in GTLM it's still BMW Corvette, BMW Corvette, Ferrari Porsche, ah now change there because Wolf Hensler has split, split the two factory Porsches uh, on the last lap around in fact and won 19.9 and that means that the top seven now, in fact actually all eight are still under a second between first and eighth around here is quite uh, quite splendid, isn't it? It's 25 BMW from 4 Corvette, from 24 BMW, from 3 Corvette, from 62, the Singleton Ferrari. Must be feeling a bit out of it there. Uh, the 912 Porsche, then the 17 Porsche on Falcon Tires, of course, the lone Falcon Tires running car. But we've seen in the past how well those tyres have performed on street circuits, notably if you remember back at Baltimore when we were there a few years ago. And then, then in eighth position, it's the 911, the factory Porsche in eighth position. All right, back of the pack. So you might think, oh, what's gone wrong with the, the Porsches this weekend? Sixth, seventh and eighth. But I will remind you, they are barely a second, three quarters of a second away from the fastest time. 
Now, the stopwatch never lies. That's true, Greg, isn't it? But really, to be that far off now is not the worst thing in the world. And how many times have we seen Porsche teams, particularly good Porsche teams, like the, the Works team, the Corot Sport guys, and obviously Derek Walker's team, the 19 Falcon Tires guy, or the 17 Falcon Tires guy, guys, they're... They'll be working on that car right now. Would not surprise me that by the time qualifying comes around that they are challenging. I don't think there's any question about it. And keep in mind that we've been talking about how slick the track is. It's getting better, but we're still nowhere near what we're going to see in qualifying. This afternoon's practice session, even though it's going to be hotter at that point, and so right now you've got that trade-off. It's cool. The conditions are favorable right now compared to what they might be this afternoon, but the track condition itself really isn't. And don't ever forget that the the big, big, big bullet in the uh, chamber for those Porsches, along with just reliability and execution, they got that big lump sitting right over those drive oh, wheels. Oh, yeah. So getting power down, which is huge at any street circuit, particularly this one with the hairpin and some of these other corners, that's something that plays to their strength. I don't really think they're all that concerned right now. This isn't a session where outright speed means much. No. Uh, this is a session where just starting to tweak on that setup and, and you know, getting things worked in. And, you know, you've got a, you know, guys like York Bergmeister, who's uh, you know, a multiple champion in the American Le Mans series. Is, I think he's got two wins here. I think he won back-to-back with Pat Long. I mean, these are guys that, you know, they know the drill here. And certainly, as you said, the team's know the drill here mm. and uh, it's going to be fun to watch by the way i uh, uh just before uh just a couple of minutes ago i think i saw jordan taylor in the wayne taylor racing yep indeed has now set fast time in the session mm. lowered that i think it's a one our, our for some reason our scoring monitor suddenly it's got a bit wonky uh, i think it's a 116.8 getting underneath oh and now richard westbrook also gets into the mix as well. Uh, so Eric Kern, the number 31, that fast time in that 31 set by Cameron. But now Taylor and Westbrook have gone up. So they've, they're still in the one, high 116s, but it's a quicker high 116. Let's go down to Jeremy Shaw, who's enjoying the sunshine and the action here at Long Beach Live for IMSA Radio. Jeremy. Yeah, just watching, uh, as you throw it to me, then the, uh, the new P1 car, the fastest overall at the moment, the number 10 car for Wayne Taylor Racing, just coming out of the hairpin here. I've moved over actually to pretty much the apex of the hairpin. It's a great place to What's interesting about it, you can really hear the traction control systems, and they're all different, of course, but all the traction control systems on the different cars. You can hear which ones are working better than others and, and how they're positioned in their cars coming off the corner. You can see there's a, there's a good trail, you know, good tr- kind of racing line emerging now. All rubber being laid down on the racetrack. The, the track is getting grippier. Uh, it's getting a little bit warmer as well, but it's really interesting to hear, that, to hear these traction systems. I'm not a favour, as you guys all know, of driver aids. I would much rather the traction control was completely down to the right foot of the driver, but it's still really interesting to watch here. And certainly that Wayne Taylor Corvette is putting their power down very, very well indeed, as are the GTLM factory Corvettes as well. Thanks, Jeremy. So much electronic uh, assistance nowadays, of course. But that in itself, I still think there's a, there's a skill to be able to to make all that work and uh, certainly having driven, driven very briefly thanks to Aston Martin a GT3 car uh, relatively recently that just 
the amount of work that's going on to set these cars up. Now, not ABS on these cars that you would have on uh, on the GT3s, which I found spooky. I mean, last of the late breakers, yeah, how late do you want to break? Oh, later than that. Okay, fine. No, that's good. Uh, the technology is, is quite remarkable. Of course, sort of 52-year-old blokes like me driving around, we're not racing drivers, but these cars make you feel like them. Certainly the GT, we were talking about GT3 earlier on, and I can't wait uh, for GT3, full GT3 cars in the IMSA series around some of the circuits that we go to here, particularly, and I'm, I'm also thinking about Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca, funnily enough, which is where we're off to. Uh, next, we are... Struggling around to the last uh, 20 minutes or thereabouts. And as uh, Jeremy rightly said, Jordan Taylor has just bumped that number 10 car up onto uh, the fastest time of the session. Not Paul, not provisional for Paul, because at the moment these times stand for nothing. It's the first free practice session here for the IMSA uh, Tudor United Sports Car Championship. Round three, we're at Long Beach, live on IMSA Radio. And... Uh, Greg has got some of the other times. Yeah, well, Taylor's time, and I was just talking about uh, the the high uh, 116s. Well, Taylor went now, Jordan did a 116.3, which suddenly we've got a margin of about a half second from Jordan Taylor down to Westbrook and Cameron. Uh, the time Cameron set, uh, the 116.89, Westy dipping beneath that at a 116.87, but then it's uh, Taylor at a 116.36. Joey Hand is fourth at a 116.9. So the top four prototypes now all into the 116s. Fifth right now is the number five, Joel Barbosa, uh, at a 117 flat. Then the number 60, Mike Shank Racing Car is sixth. Seventh is Memo Rojas. Uh, he's at a uh, seventh spot. And then eighth overall is first, and that is that number 25, BMW and the best time in that set by Oberlin at a 1 minute 19.129 is that car now into the pits then Gavin in the number uh, 4 Corvette Lure in the team number 24 BMW and Pierre Coffer just jumps up into 4th in the Risa Competizione Ferrari turning a 119.424 and uh, brings that car up into 4th pushing Magnussen now in the number 3 Corvette back into the 5th spot Jeremy has just reminded me on the uh, talkback that the fastest lap in the race here last year was a 16-0. Uh, so that'll tell you how close the guys are getting to race pace already on a dirty track. This, this track of any track that we go to, you'll hear guys talk about it being green at the start, about it evolving through the weekend. This is the one where if you were to look at the way the times drop, given how much rubber is going on, to the streets this is this is the evolution track greg isn't it it truly is and it, it sort of flies in the face of uh, as you said other tracks because at a certain point with other tracks you get a scenario where the heat actually overrides the improving grip on the track it starts to you know the oils bake out of the tire uh, out of the rubber down on the track a little bit and things grease up here it just generally unless it gets ridiculously hot Generally, even in the heat of the day, it just gets quicker. The one thing that virtually everybody talks about is that as this track gains grip, the tendency is is it, it, it goes toward push, toward understeering the car. So that's something that you're always fighting with a little bit is, uh, is making sure you're trying to dial out that, that little bit of uh, push. Wow, Joao Barbosa 
now uh, jumps from fifth to the fast time, turning a one-minute 16.159 to the number five uh, Action Express Racing Corvette DP. That pushes Taylor back into second. Westbrook third in the Wayne Taylor Racing and Visit Florida Racing Corvette DPs. So right now it's Corvette DPs one through four with Dane Cameron uh, back on board the number 31 car that he had set that 116.8. That uh, really was the session quick time for a long time. Joey Hand first of the non-Corvette DPs in the 0140 EcoBoost Riley from Ganassi Sabatis. Sixth is Oz Negri in the Michael Shank Racing. HPD Liger. And that's where the gap is. That, uh, that, that Liger right now, 1.1 seconds or there, thereabouts off of uh, the fifth spot of Joey Hand. And then only a tenth back to Memo Rojas as we're coming in now into our final 20 minutes. It's interesting, isn't it? The track is developing, as we mentioned. The guys are getting more comfortable. We've got limited amount of time here on the circuit. Somebody somewhere is going to have to do a simulated qualifying session because otherwise, how do you know what it's like on low fuel and brand new tyres? Now, it's not the same time of day as it's going to be when we qualify, but even so, you've still got to do a simulated quality session, haven't you? Well, I mean, you know, when you've been doing in and outs and you're tweaking on the car and everything, at some point before you take the cars off the track completely and into the paddock, to really work at them, yeah, you need to put in a couple of relatively quick laps so that you know, all right, what is the car giving us right now with this setup? Have the changes we've been making been changes that have gone in the right direction? But the bigger part of it is at some point you need to push a little bit. Oh, we got uh... – <laughs> is that the shank car? Uh, it must be. Yeah. It's the red – it's the crimson chrome – and that's because uh, they were that's talking. That's turn six, isn't it? Um, Is that turn six, turn five. That's five, right? Five, there. excuse me. Yeah, that's interesting. And he spun to the inside or driven it to the inside of tri- turn five. It's driver's right, and he's facing a contra traffic at the moment, contra race. And at least he's inside the curbing. He's inside the curbing. He's got electrical power. We can see yeah, lights flashing. Ours. He's in neutral. It's Oz Negri at the wheel, is it? Yes, it is. Yep. And he's trying to get it restarted at the moment. And I think trying to do that without... I think what he needs is a push backwards uh, from the guys. He's, he's struggling to get... He's still in neutral. You can see that from the steering wheel. And he's wanting a little push back so that he can get enough lock. These cars have so little steering lock. I mean, it, remember... Austin Powers, the 146-point <laughs> turn in the golf cart. Well, it's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, you have so little lock there. The problem is the guys on the corner are reluctant to push him back too far because he's, he is inside the curbing at the moment, by, but not by much. And I, I kind of understand that as well. Well, and w- w- the other thing that that's telling me is that he's struggling to find reverse. Correct. Because if he could just get reverse, he could just back up and open the angle up and... Uh, that's where he seems to be fighting it. He so needs to get some left-hand lock on and, and spin it through yeah. if he can't. But he's he's not that far away from being on the racing circuit uh, surface. And he does now get a little bit of a pushback. Once again, our intrepid corner workers, thank you to them all, to a man or woman. And they're having to push him forward as well. But he's got power, I think, there, Greg. 
but he hasn't got reverse. That's exactly right. He can drive it forward. He can't drive it backwards. And we've got a little bit of the what's now going to be called the Negri Shuffle going on. Yep. Yep. The uh, good marshalling. Fifteen. Really turn. good yeah, marshalling. Good job. Getting it moved, keeping the track green, and yet never putting either the car and the driver nor themselves, which is a big eat in harm's way. That's and good huge. flagging, by the way, from the guys on the two posts before that with a stationary, then a waved yellow, making sure everybody knows. Now, obviously, as you come by a couple of times, you, you get to see what's going on. Let's head down to Jeremy Shaw. Catherine Legg did the bulk of the work early this morning for Delta Wing. Memo Rojas in the car at the moment, which means that Catherine can speak to Jeremy Shaw. Yeah, with uh, Catherine Legg. Catherine, great for you to be back here on the streets of Long Beach. You've had success here, of course, in the past. It was a little while ago now, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jeremy. You're making me feel old. Um, it was ten years ago, actually, when I won my first race in North America here in Long Beach. So it's kind of special. Yeah, and uh, for, for this Delta Wing team, though, a very new experience. This car never been on this sort of racetrack before. No, and, you know, I was very tentative when I first went out. When I first went out there this morning, I was wondering, you know, how it was going to be. And um, it's actually really good. I thought there might be some confusion with, because the rear is so much wider than the front, like, how am I going to judge the walls? But that was the easy bit. The, um, the bit we're working on now is compliance, because... It's difficult to get over. I forgot how bumpy this place was, and it's difficult to get over the bumps. Now, it's not getting any less bumpy, I think, over the years, but it's a great challenge, this road track. Slightly different configuration you ran here 10 years ago, was it? Um, was it the same as it is now? It was the same as it, it is okay. now. Uh, yeah, that, that, um, that's me showing my age, Catherine. I've been <laughs> coming here for nearly 30 years, so um, I can pull that rank on you. But uh, it's, uh, you, the car seems to be working well, and what's, what's the plan right now? You're just going through different setup options? Yeah, the, the car seems to touch wood. I don't want to jinx anything. Be working really well. Uh, we did a two-day test last week in uh, in Savannah in Roebling Road, and we worked on bumps and getting around hairpins and all the basics and reliability. A few new parts. So we're very much of the mind this weekend that we have to finish without issue. And then we can work on being competitive and being fast. We're not so far away, but the field is so competitive that, um, you know, to find half a second is uh, is not no easy feat. Well, welcome back to Long Beach. Have fun for the weekend, Catherine. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Great stuff from Jeremy Shaw and Catherine Lake down there a, in the pit lane. Had a little bit of a moment for the number 25, and Dirk Werner just uh, overshot and uh, got into the runoffs, was able to get that, was on a turn one was able to get the car righted and continue. And while Jeremy was conducting that interview with Catherine, uh, Pierre Coffer took the 62 Risi Ferrari to the top in GT Le Mans, turning a 1 minute 19 flat, a 1 minute 19.039. And just now, Richard Westbrook takes the number 90 Visit Florida Corvette to a 1 minute 16.141 and uh, puts him by 18 one-thousandths of a second on top of Joel Barbosa's time and then uh, Taylor, then Joey Han, and then Dane Cameron. And the interesting thing to me is, you know, one thing, you know, with Mike Shank and the Oz Negri in the number 60 car, they had a heck of a rebuild on that thing after that wreck at Sebring. And so I'm sure that, you know, they're sorting things out just a little bit. And uh, they've also gone to a little bit different paint scheme. It's one that they've kind of run before on that number 60 car. 
But uh, right now, there's that little bit of a gap, about uh, 1.1 seconds from Cameron in fifth, the Negri in sixth, and then Rojas and Captain Leg in the Delta Wing, just a tenth off of Negri's time right now. And then it's the GTLM machines and Kaffer in that beautiful Ferrari up top. Change there, then. And that's down to a 19.9. That's hauling around here. But still, with Brian Sellers having just put in... Oh, Wolf Hensler, rather. Brian Sellers just getting into the car. Uh, Wolf Hensler put in a 19.9. So we've still got less than a tenth. The guys at the front improve. The guys at the back improve. We've still got less than a second between all eight of the GTLM LM cars, which is just phenomenal. Well, and you look at the times for the three Porsches, the two factory Porsches and then the 17 Falcon Tire uh, Porsche, a 1991, a 1992, four, a 1992, seven. So, all incredibly close right now. And uh, Joey Hand has just jumped out of the zero one car. Jeremy Shaw has him for us. Yeah, looking hot and sweaty first thing in the morning. A great way to get your weekend started, Joey. Yeah, you know, good little exercise here at the Long Beach Grand Prix. One of my favorite races. This venue is just so awesome with all the. All the buildings around, right through the streets here, the marina on their side, you know, everything. So I really love this race. I love, even though it's an early, early morning for us, I still love getting up and, and doing this practice session. We missed you last night. We had the, the, the regular Road Racing Drivers Club dinner last night. You're a member of that club. I know you've been in the past. We missed you last night. Yeah, you know, I had the family in town. My kids weren't, my son's not feeling well, so decide not to do it but it's a that's a great event i saw it. i followed it on twitter i saw all the pictures from from all you guys uh and it looked really cool you know um i know i was at the uh the daytona one it's the stories that these guys tell and oh, and the way uh big bob rahal uh you know takes control of it and asks all the right questions it's a really cool deal yeah we had a really fun time bobby Unser was a feature guest on i tell you what some of the stories that he came up with are just amazing but look back to the serious stuff how is the track uh, feel this morning this car was the f- fastest car here in qualifying last year you weren't driving of course yeah uh, but uh, you're in the car now and you know how was the first part of that session that's pretty normal And all of a sudden, we lose Jeremy completely. You know, track's coming oh, in. It's actually very similar lap times to what it was last year in the morning. So, I mean, it, it, everything seems to be on pace. But, you know, Long Beach is one of those racetracks. Actually, it's not that bad for a street course, even when it's green. It's not bad. And it, it takes rubber pretty good. And it, it gets really consistent really quickly. So, I don't really see any issues with the racetrack. Um, it's more about just trying to find your way with the race car or the setup, you know. So, right now, we're just struggling with a little bit of... A little bit loose off and just trying to get get a handle on it. I mean, we're a lot better than we were at Sebring. So the car's pretty fun to drive. You know, just uh, for me, it's a pleasure to be part of this this Chip Ganassi Racing Organization. This Ford EcoBoost is running good. They always are working on making this thing run better and better drivability with this uh, with these turbos. And you know, it's uh, you forget you even have these turbos now. So we're getting getting really good on stuff. So you know, we're not we're not racing a bunch of slouches. These guys are good guys. So. I don't think you're gonna. Nobody's gonna dominate this race, uh, especially an hour and forty minutes. I think we're gonna go, go have a good old-fashioned street fight, just the way I like it. Yeah, great. So thanks, Jerry Handen. Just another quick update. I just saw Michael Shank. Uh, I asked him about that car, the number sixty car being off the road there. He said, yeah, they had a bit of contact with one of the GT cars. No harm, no foul. They're back underway and no damage to number sixty car, guys. Brilliant. Thank you, Jeremy, and uh, thank you to the guys from BSI who clearly are 
uh, listening in and have been tweaking Jeremy. Well, not him, but he's... <laughs> although, hey, who knows? Uh, well, he's sounding very happy this morning, maybe. I don't know. Uh, thanks, guys. Jonathan, the rest of the guys down there, once again, coming through brilliantly on our technicals. Uh, the guys down at BSI for our radio communications with Jeremy. All absolutely clear as a bell this morning. And... Uh, we're going to try and get, uh, we're going to stretch that technology as Jeremy walks down towards Pit Out, uh, which is uh, quite a distance away from uh, all of the receivers. So we'll give that a shot and that'll give us an idea of just who we'll be able to speak to. Uh, the early days of, of pulling this racetrack together is, I mean, it's a phenomenal effort of putting a, a racetrack on city streets. I... I, I I still can't quite believe that it happens every year. It gets put up and it gets taken down. It gets put up and it, it gets taken down. And it, over the years, Long Beach, I mean, it, it's transformed this area of the city, hasn't it? Oh, it has. I mean, when this, in 1975, when, when Pook came up with the idea for this race, uh, this area was struggling. I mean, it was in, in, in serious trouble. And uh, this race, uh, primary uh, reason that this area has seen a, a, a rebirth, a revitalization over the years, and it's because of what's unfolded in large part with this event. Once it, things took hold, of course, then uh, things just sort of you know happened on their own. But I think the amazing thing about this is that this track has remained, this event has remained with much of this track being the same for some now 41 years, but the way that it and the organization, the Grand Prix Association of Long Beach, now, as I said, under the uh, uh, leadership of Jim McCallion and their group, have been able to bounce and roll with all of the development that's gone on. And it's sort of a cause-effect. You know, this event, this race, has caused this rebirth, thus the revitalization of the business district. And if you think about it, in the early days, this track used to come all the way up onto Ocean Boulevard. Correct. And then cut down. Well, then you got the building boom up on Ocean and everything, so they changed it there. That Not that long ago, you'd head down Shoreline, and at turn one was a right, left, and then a hook, you know, because they were building the, the, the aquarium complex. Mm. They exactly. finished that back into the twisty bit. I mean, this track has evolved with, with the, the growth area. of the area. Yeah. It's, it, it's just been visionary. And Eric Curran was one of the pace setters this morning. Amazingly enough, it uh, only seems a few minutes ago that we were talking about him being top of the pile. Now, Dan Cameron out in the 31 car with a 16-7 in the pit lane. Uh, dropped down to fifth position, but Jeremy Shaw has gone all the way up to the 31 pit, right to pit out, and he can talk with the Action Express racing guys now. Here is Eric Curran. Indeed, Eric, and uh, your good experience in this track, you've raced in a bunch of different cars in the past. You look really good. I was watching out the hairpin in turn nine for the early part of the session. Your car looks really good through there. Yeah, I mean, this uh, We Own 31 uh, Corvette is really working well today. I mean, we've been kind of top five so far in the session. We're trying to get Dane a bunch of laps. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been driving here probably 15 years or so, and mostly GT cars, but I uh, had a big win here on a wheel and Corvette in 07, and we're looking for another win again uh, tomorrow. So, But we're having a lot of fun. These Action Express guys are really killing it, and uh, uh, we're strong. You know, we got a bit of an uphill learning curve because we don't have the experience that some of the competitors do, even our teammates, but uh, but we're charging, and we've had a fast car all year, and uh, 
we're looking for a podium finish this weekend. You have in this relationship between the Wheeling, Wheeling Corporation and Action Express really gelling and coming together very quickly, really, Eric. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, with uh, you know uh, Action Express affiliation with NASCAR and then the affiliation with Wheeling Engineering and everything they do for the NASCAR side. I mean, every NASCAR track in the country has wheeling lights around it. You know, all the all the uh, pace cars and all those lights flashing under a caution are all wheeling lights. So uh, there's a great connection there, and there's obviously a great connection now with Action Express and our race program. So just, uh, you know, great all the way around. Wheeling Engineering such a great supporter. Sonny Wheeling sitting up there on the box and just, uh, you know, he was up bright and early sitting up on the box watching his practice session. So he just eats it up. He loves it. And, uh... We're cranking with this 31 Corvette. It's going to be a good weekend. How are track conditions? Pretty good for the first session of the weekend, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I was a little nervous yesterday after, dri after the drift cars, but they did a good job sweeping it and cleaning it up. So overall, track conditions are pretty good. I think it's going to change this afternoon with the rubber that's going to get put down from the other series. But overall, these Continental tires are gripping pretty well in uh, pretty much perfect conditions here in Southern California. Can't complain. No, no complaints to me either, guys. <laughs> if you can have a quick word with Sonny Whelan, tell him I need a, a few um, a few strobe marker lights for my BMW K1600 motorcycle so that the uh, guys in cars back in the UK don't keep pulling out in front of me. Um, they'd, they'd be perfect uh, on the front of the big K1600. Uh, we have got two and a half minutes to go. And in GTLM, it's Ferrari, BMW, BMW now with Giancarlo Fisichella having just climbed aboard the 62 car, 118.7. And that's another improvement, 119.1 for Derek, for Dirk, Derek Warner, I was going to call him. Derek Warner, I'm going to call him Derek Warner for the rest of the weekend. John Edwards is in the 24 car. Then it's Corvette and then... The 911 Porsche. Patrick Peele just improving a wee bit. Up to fifth position, a 119.5. But that uh, 18.7 that the 62 car put in, that's really blown that, blown that category apart there, Greg, from being so close. He is now, in fact, he's just done a quicker lap, has he? No, 18.7. Uh, he's just pulled out four tenths on the rest of the field. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty remarkable lap that uh, that they put in here. And it's interesting to see the defending pole and race winner, the number three Corvette, sitting back in sixth right now. And, again, you know, that's nothing of concern uh, too much other than, you know, if the car uh, is just comfortably fast right out of the gate, you like that. Uh, one of the big pieces of news here is in the prototype division, that number 60 car, if you remember that, had been mired, the Mike Shank racing car, had been uh, at a 118 flat for a long time, which put it almost two seconds off of what Westbrook and the gang at the front have been doing. Uh, Negri just a couple of laps ago turned a 117.3. And remember they had that uh, that little bit of a moment with a, G, uh, a GTLM car that had them off at turn five. Well, he's now able to string some laps together, and he's stringing some laps together. And now, of course, that means dealing with some traffic, which uh, is all part and parcel of the program here. Interesting, watching the onboard just a minute ago of Richard Westbrook, uh, with Fisichella and the Risi Ferrari up in front of him in that transition from six, uh, seven up to eight. Uh, Fisichella, I think, really thought that Westy was going to go blowing by him and stayed right for a little bit to let Westy do it. And Westbrook decided apparently he wasn't on a flyer and he just checked up. And watching Fisichella just suddenly swing very abruptly left to get back on the right, the correct line for the turn in into the right hander. Uh, just interesting, again, watching these guys, uh, the pros, at their absolute best in these cars. And on board now with Oz Negri, and we're starting to see some speed, but we are, 
it's it, it's pretty evident to me that this car at this time, John, not happy. Uh, he he Recent. really the back end stepping out. Uh, you know, we've been watching some of the other cars, and all the inputs have been a lot smoother than what Oz is dealing with right now. Uh, we can go down to Jeremy Shaw, who has got uh, the man that we were talking about earlier on and waxing lyrical about Michael Valiente in the, from the VisitFlorida.com uh, machine. And uh, Jeremy's down there now. Yeah, another former winner of an Atlantic race here, funnily enough, coincidentally, Michael Valianti. Good, always good to be back on the streets of Long Beach, isn't it, Michael? Yeah, it's a wonderful track. Um, as everyone says, there's so much history here, and we had a great turnout of fans, so hopefully we can have a great show on the weekend and, and walk away with the win here. We saw to Catherine Legg a little while ago. She won here 10 years ago. you got to admit how long it was ago you won here? I think it's almost 15 years now, it seems like a long time. It makes you feel any better. I've been coming here for 30, so hey. But look, they're all looking good this weekend. The car fastest in the session so far. You were out in the early stages. Obviously, progress being made, Michael. Yeah, I mean, we're just chipping away on it. The, the championship, and these cars are so close, you're looking for, you know, tenths of a second. So it seems like we're improving it uh, each time we go out. So hopefully by qualifying, we can, you know, be on the front row. And this Coyote Corvette has got to be a really fun car to drive around the streets here. Yeah, they've done a really good job building this car, and uh, it's good on tire wear, it's great on braking, and we've got good power, so I think we have a shot at the win this weekend. Cool for you. Have a good weekend, then. Thanks. Thank you, Jeremy. Jeremy Shaw uh, with uh, the Michael Valiente, the driver down there in the pit lane at the moment. We're just, Greg and I are just trying to work out how much, uh, in terms of experience, that we've got... Uh, from the Long Beach Grand Prix, the Toyota Long Beach Grand Prix here. Jeremy, 30, 26 with Greg. I think I've got about 10 or a dozen times I've been here. Not always working. Came in to watch an IndyCar race when I was working at Rocky Motor Speedway uh, a couple of years before the sports cars turned up. But I certainly think we're well over 60 uh, events here between us, uh, which is not too bad. Check flag is out. Oh, you said that and I, my joint started to hurt. Let's have a quick word with Pierre Kaffer, who I think put in that 118.7, which was the fastest time in GTLM, rocketing the 62 car off. Uh, go ahead, Jeremy. Indeed, uh, Pierre, good to see you here. Nice job there. The car's looking fast already in this weekend. Yeah, I think uh, we try a lot of things uh, in the past, and we know the 458 very well right now. And here for Long Beach, it seems to be that we find straight away the right spot in our setup. And it's uh, very nice to be here again and, uh, of course, to drive for, for Rizzi and uh, with Giancarlo together. And right now Giancarlo put a really nice uh, lap together. And it's not so easy here in Long Beach to get everything in one lap. Yeah, Pierre, thanks very much. Let's try and grab a, a quick word, though, with Giancarlo down here. Giancarlo, welcome to Long Beach again. Good to be back here. Fun street circuit, this, isn't it? It is, it is yes. Um, I really enjoy to drive around this nice track. It's a beautiful place and uh, the car looks uh, pretty good uh, it's fitted very well we went through the setup and uh, we went in the right direction so looks looks look promising and uh, we will see today and tomorrow we tried to make the weather good for you as well Giancarlo yeah there is a fantastic weather maybe even too hot <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much and good luck for the weekend welcome thank you very much Right, we'll, uh, we'll leave Jeremy faded up for a couple of uh, thoughts from Jeremy before we let him go. Two hours has rocketed by, Jeremy, and we've seen very little incident, accident or issue from the team. So it would seem that the pit lane is, is fairly happy with, with what's gone on. They've got a lot of work done this morning. 
Absolutely thrilled. I mean, often here we come here for the first session, there's various incidents and people are off the road and yellow flags or what have you. I don't think there was a single interruption, was there? No. So it was great. And yeah, everybody here, that you know, everybody here without question, without exception, is thrilled to be here on the streets of Long Beach because it's such a fantastic event. And they're even more thrilled because the weather is absolutely perfect. And they're even more thrilled again because there were no incidents and everybody seems to be pretty happy with their cars. And just you look at the times and you can see how close everything is. This is going to be a really fun day tomorrow. Are, are you seeing anything Jeremy from when you were out on track that would lead you to believe that there's uh, advantage to anybody out there? The times are really too close to call at the moment. They are. Certainly in GTLM it was interesting because when I was watching Pierre Caffigan coming out of the hairpin, it seemed to me they didn't quite have the traction control right. Mm. Uh, later on, that's, that car seemed to be better and clearly, you know, Giancarlo Fisichella set that time towards the end of the session, but uh, yeah, the Ferrari, you know, with that mid-engine layout, it's got to be good on a track like this because it's, uh, you, you, need to, you need to be nimble through the corners. That car is it's, it's well balanced. They, they know how to set this car up now. They've been running it for quite a long time. They're going to be tough to beat. In, in prototype Goodness gracious, I, I think it's absolutely wide open. Jeremy, thank you. Uh, Jeremy Shaw down in the pit lane. We'll hear more from him when next we're on the air uh, at IMSA Radio. Greg Kramer has been in the booth. And first of all, thank you for uh, holding the fort early uh, in the broadcast there, Greg. I, I mean, you can only, we can only really echo what Jeremy said. A small but perfectly formed field with absolutely nothing between any of the two masters a little bit off the pace. I don't think they'll be overly disappointed with that. They've, they're still building themselves up around this and they don't have a lot of data here. But other than that, I think everybody has pretty much got what they wanted out of those sessions. Absolutely. And we heard when Jeremy was interviewing Eric Kern, and Kern said, we're going to put Dane back in the car. We're trying to get him lots of laps because although Dane has certainly a fair amount of experience, to remember here last year, boy, what a couple of years. It just occurred to me, a couple of phenomenal years for Dane Cameron running the Reese Ferrari here last year, running an Action Express wheel and DP here this year. Uh, but right at the end, the second of the last time lap Cameron set the fast time at a 1 minute 16.063 uh, setting the overall best time uh, so obviously getting him those laps uh, he is a quick study we knew that and putting it to great use but yeah in the prototype divisions you know you have to go all the way uh, you know down to uh, the number 60 car and again uh, they had that early off so they've been chasing things a little bit to get anybody that's more than half a second off of Cameron's time in GTLM, it's as packed as it gets, and we're going to have a track that should be even racier, faster, and ready to go when at 4.45 local time today, the next window for the Tudor United Sports Car Championship cars, it's about an hour and a half window, 35-minute practice, a break, right into qualifying GTLM, and then prototype, it should be spectacular. Greg, thank you very much indeed. The uh, IMSA Tudor United Sports Car Championship cars making their way back to the paddock. 4.45 local, which means we'll be on the air here at IMSA Radio a little bit before that. That's just uh, ooh, just before 1 o'clock on Saturday morning if you're uh, in the UK. So it requires uh, a little bit of endurance on your part as well. Check the front page of IMSA.com or RadioLeMond.com for all of the details of our broadcast schedule. It's a very truncated weekend. The guys don't have time to make mistakes here. And don't forget, we're racing on the streets of Long Beach on Saturday evening local time. Afternoon into evening. Not Sunday. Saturday afternoon into evening. But 
But the good news is you can hear it all live here on IMSA Radio and at IMSA.com. For Jeremy Shaw, for Greg Kramer, uh, for me, John Hindhoff, and, of course, for our technical team, headed up by Brian uh, and Bubba, uh, we say thank you very much for being with us and join us again as we build up to that qualifying, the countdown of qualifying, starting off later on this afternoon, all here on IMSA Radio. This programme is a production of IMSA and Radio Show Limited. For more, visit RadioLeMond.com. The RadioLeMond.com forum is full of people just like you. People who have opinions and aren't afraid to share them, just like you. People who love all forms of motorsport, just like you. At the track, on the radio, online. Go to RadioLeMond.com and click on the forum button. RadioLeMond.com Live from Silverstone, this is RadioLamont.com.